five. Now this is most important, Rat. It comes down to making out whenever possible. Put on side one of Rock All Over You Podcast! Let's rock! Eric and Edwin! Edwin and Eric! They don't give a fuck! They just want you to rock! Yeah! Bam 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 dilly dee! Bam bam bam! The next day, the papers were full of us, and it was really a, a press explosion. And John Lord suddenly became the main writer and main composer of the band, which really got up the noses of everyone else in the band, because he wasn't the main writer, the main composer, or even the leader, all of which he was touted as. And Richie, in particular, got very bitter about that. It happened in London. It happened in the Royal Albert Hall, the world premiere of the Concerto for Group and Orchestra by John Lord. If there was any jealousy as such, I believe the jealousy stemmed mostly from Richie. There's this oh, no, eminence grise in the corner, you know. I always imagine him on a perch, you know, like sort of peering. <laughs> I mean, this guy's been part of my life for a quarter of a century, damn it, and I'm still, you know, esteemed at some of the things he did. After the concerto, Deep Purple went on to have a hit single with Black Knight. It was created one evening in a recording studio when Richie started playing around on the guitar. And he started playing. Do, 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 I never heard it. Let's do it. Where should we go from here? Let's do. Uh, do, 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 do. Let's go to the A. Okay. And more a stop and back to the riff again. Okay. All right, everyone, and welcome back to the Rock All Over You podcast. I'm Eric Jordan, RMCP, joined as always by Edwin Canastracci. And Edwin, I'm a, I'm a little starstruck right now because we got some really, really big deal guest stars on the show that you were able to invite on, and I want you to introduce them because they are pretty badass. Yeah, they are pretty badass, and they might just be saving rock and roll, which is what we're all about. And they're, they're actually my favorite new band. I say this quite a bit, and I said it in this YouTube video I made about them. And when I say favorite new band, I mean like band that formed after 2010, you know, roughly. So in terms of all bands that formed after 2010, there's no question that this band, Dream Machine, is my favorite band. So it's an honor to have them on the Rock All Over You podcast. And the band is essentially a husband and wife duo. Matthew endorse Milton. Did I pronounce your last name right? Is it Milton? Yes, that's correct. <laughs> Good, perfect. Because I, I would feel like a real asshole if I mispronounced the last name of my favorite new band. <laughs> uh, but it, I would notice one thing. It seems like officially, at least according to your YouTube channel, you're Matthew endorse. 
But in my email interaction with you guys, I notice sometimes you're Doris and Matthew. So which is it? What should we be calling you, Matthew and Doris, or Doris and Matthew? <laughs> That's a good question. We're kind of like um, we're kind of like one. We've kind of yeah. merged together into one person. So like, you can you can talk to either one of us, and it's it's always going to reach the other we're person. We're fully interchangeable. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So John Ono Lennon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, so, so so I'm gonna I'm just because I'm used to your YouTube channel. I'm gonna say Matthew and Doris, but I don't want Doris to be offended because I'm oh, no. Matthew. It's understood that when I say Matthew and Doris, I also simultaneously mean Doris and Matthew. All right. Yeah, no, it's, I I don't take offense to that at all. I am actually yo, dude, you Matthew. trying to denigrate my wife? <laughs> What's up? <laughs> no, seriously, thanks so much for the introduction, and we're we're glad to be here. Yeah, yeah, thank you so much for the kind words. We're really honored, and uh, that means a lot to us. We we saw your review of us, and we were just smiling from ear to ear. It was really uh, heartwarming to see what you were saying about us. See, we think that you're saving rock and roll. We saw this, uh, your channel, and we're like, look, here's a guy who just likes cool stuff. That's actually more rare than you'd imagine. People like horrible stuff nowadays. And here's this guy <laughs> showing cool stuff. It's like, this guy, we need more people like this. Yeah, well, you're right. No, I'm aware of it. Believe me. I think we're, you know, all of us, you know, and Eric's similar when, you know, we we, we don't want to have to go back to the past for old cool shit. But unfortunately, we have to. That's the thing, you know, and I noticed that there's just a lot of I think all of us. One thing we have in common is we all love a lot of music and pop culture. A, not all of it, but a lot of it. You know, comes from a period before we were even born. You know, and it's like we have to go back to it because that was when things were more authentic and exciting and real and revolutionary. You know, it was like revolutionary times, and now everything's just very stagnant and formulaic and very corporate. You know, everything's you know run by corporations. So as a result, what do you know? Well, you you wouldn't think that everything being run by a globalist corporation. It would would make art suck, but for some reason it does. It seems like corporations aren't about art for some reason. <laughs> and that's so true. I, I recently saw a thing about how they made Friday the Thirteenth, and now it's such an iconic, famous horror movie. And but you know, booze basically just some people with a crazy idea that nobody would get behind. And they had like they like figured out a way to get the cash, and they got these teenagers and fake blood, and they like. Just barely pulled it off with just experimentation and just being crazy out in the woods and like it wasn't going to be a historic movie, but they just it ended up being that way because of the genuine experimentation and the heart behind the project. And so it's, yeah. it's that type of, of uh, energy we need. Oh, yeah. It's like you, and you had that throughout all the 70s and early 80s, like people just kind of making it up as they go along, like even like the first Star Wars, like that was like they were inventing new ways to shoot things because they had to do it. It's like, oh, how do you shoot this? They couldn't just go on a computer. They had a, a bunch of guys like in the valley had to come up with some stuff, you know, and say, oh, maybe if we make this model and we do this. And music was like that, too, you know, in the late 60s and throughout the 70s. And that's when I listened to your albums. It's funny because, uh, and I've been with you guys since the first one, The Illusion. When as soon as I heard The Illusion, I was just like, I was all in. I was like, yeah, you know, this band gets it. And one thing that really impressed me, and I think Matthew, you're you produced the albums, right? Uh, yes, that's correct. 
Yeah, and yeah, great. You're an amazing producer. You really managed to like. There's a lot of retro bands out there, but they don't really capture like the sound of like the audit of like the you know of the analog age quite the way that the Dream Machine albums do. And it's like it's funny because I played the illusion to a friend of mine, you know Eric from the RMCP Army, Michael Hampton. So I played him, I played him the illusion, a song from the illusion, and Hampton、mm-hmm. said, I can't. Honestly, tell you if this was recorded in 1970 Berkeley or like <laughs> or, or in Silver Lake last week, I can't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. When you because、uh, that's、uh, Ed Edwin. Yeah, this was kind of a last minute episode, and、uh, Edwin sent me、uh, the illusion. That was the album he told me to check out, and I was blown away. Like legit sounds, you know. It sounds like it was recorded, you know, back in the early '70s. And I still gotta check out the、uh, the other albums because I was just so impressed with the illusion.、Uh, the one thing I definitely like about you guys because there's a lot of bands out there that try and like capture that old school sound. I listen to a lot of, like more like heavy metal, but I also like listening to more like hard rock where they try and capture the classic sound. You know, a lot of bands that can sometimes capture the sound perfectly, but Not a lot of bands can write great songs like those bands used to. You can have a band that sounds spot on, like you know, Deep Purple or like Black Sabbath or like Blue Oyster Cult, which are three bands you guys remind me a lot of. They can sound like it, but they can't really write the songs that those bands could. The songwriting is not as strong. Whereas you guys, you have the sound down perfectly, but you can also write the songs. Like there are songs that I can listen to, and a chorus or a verse or just maybe the The riff will get stuck in my head, and I'll be humming it all day long or singing it all day long. So you guys have like the best of both worlds with capturing that sound, but also writing great songs that like can compete with you know the people you're influenced by. Yeah, it's all. And it, 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 let me tell you, Eric, as the albums go with Breaking the Circle and Living the Dream, their newest album, the songwriting just gets better and better. And like,、uh, I'm, it, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward <laughs> to listening to them. Now, living the dream. Sorry, we're gushing a little bit, but I'm sure you guys hate you know guys gushing over your album here. Yeah, but no, no, it's it's nice to hear. Thank you so much. And and yeah, it's like it's one of those things where I don't know, it, it, 70s and and 60s stuff. We we obviously love listening to it and stuff, but um, it's it's kind of like you were saying earlier. It's just you got to kind of gravitate towards that stuff, not because you're per se trying to like you know be. Obsessive with, about the '60s or something, but it's just it just happens to be that in that time, where everything was kind of crazy politically and in the world, and when th- times are tough, that's like when most of the 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 good stuff comes out, right? So then we had like those bands that you were saying, Black Sabbath and Blue Oyster Cult and stuff, and I don't know, I just but thank you, yeah, that's that's really cool, and it's nice to hear that you guys、uh, enjoy the. The records we've made. <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely like because we are in a very similar period to, especially like the very early seventies. You know, it's a very similar、um, period, and, and it's just like, but not everyone. The difference was then the music was really good and exciting and reflecting that. Whereas now it's not, and that's one thing too. And I mentioned this in that video I made about you guys. Is even though you are using like the tools and the sounds of like the '60s and '70s, and with the new album, I think a little bit of the early '80s as well. It's, it's not. I wouldn't call you guys like a full-out nostalgic act. Like that's the thing. I feel like, especially lyrically and your overall vibe. Plus, you've got a 
put your YouTube channel kind of in context too. I kind of feel you're like a multimedia band or act, and it's like all kind of connected. And I feel like from watching your videos, you obviously put a lot of thought into your video content as well. And I feel like you're a very, in a lot of ways, you're a very modern act as well. It's like you're both of the past, but of this moment. And I feel like that's. It seems like that's something you're conscious of. Is that something you're conscious of to try try to kind of straddle that line? Well, I mean, we're trying to stay authentic. It's a weird day. It's kind of a weird time to do any type of music because a lot of the old infrastructure of how a band would quote unquote make it or gain followers or whatnot, you know, say in terms of like the '70s or the '80s, you know, with this very specific、uh, sequence of you know magazines and these. Or、um, you know, then you had the music video, and you had labels, and you had A and R people, and this certain things are all kind of crumbling. They're kind of like the Sphinx, like very、yeah. dusty and kind of half buried. <laughs> But and now it's like all about Spotify, and so you know we're trying to adapt to how things are in the 2020s. But at the same time, retain the <clears throat> you know to be authentic. We're not like copying a TikTok or something because you know now it's like. A kid can play a ten-second lick and go viral and have like、yeah. a million. You know, and it's just like, what? What is this? So it's a new animal. So we're trying to, you know, sort of stay on there, even though we're we're still in with the '70s and '80s ethos of, you know, how it. How they used to do it back in、yeah. the good days. And <laughs> I say one thing. One of my favorite filmmakers is、uh, Brian De Palma, and he used to say because a big thing about Brian De Palma was, especially in his day, like in the late seventies, early eighties, where he was like making his best stuff. A lot of people were saying, "Well, you're just ripping off Hitchcock. You're just doing Hitchcock." And he said, he, "There's a great documentary. I definitely recommend watching called De Palma that came out a few years ago." And he said, "Well, listen, Hitchcock was a master. I'm watching his movies like." That's like why wouldn't I use that? Like that's a it's about the vocabulary of cinema. Like why wouldn't I take these tools and the techniques he's using to tell stories? Because these are really like he's a master and he he knows how to tell a story. So why wouldn't I utilize that and make that part of my cinematic vocabulary? And I feel like in a lot of ways that's what you guys do. It's like you're like why wouldn't we? Like you said earlier, Matthew, and you know like this. It's like the '60s and '70s. That's where a lot of the greatest music of the 20th century was created, and you know it was a musical,、uh, cultural renaissance. So why wouldn't you, as an artist, go back and kind of take a cue from it? You know, and that sounds like what you guys are doing. Like you're utilizing it, the tools. But that's what I mean by I don't think you're just nostalgic. Like you're going back and saying, well, these guys did it this way. And sorry, sorry, Doris, but it was mainly guys. <laughs> These guys <laughs> that way back then. I don't take offense to any of that stuff. You can say anything, and I won't. But yeah, it's, it's actually funny that you、uh, mentioned that because、uh, Deep Purple. I think a, a while ago I saw an interview of those guys talking about、um, trying to because、uh, In Rock was like one of their most. You know, mind-blowing albums to the general public because it they were more like psychedelic beforehand,、yep. and then I think some of the I can't remember who it was. It,、um, I I don't remember which one of the members it was, but they were basically saying we're trying to take a bunch of different sounds and make our own, and、um, so it's it's funny that you guys mentioned this, and because yeah, it's it's one of those things, you know, it, that's that's where you draw your inspiration from. It's okay to just take、uh, 
different acts and or movies. You can th- draw inspiration from anything, really. It doesn't have to be other bands. It can be a movie or a story you heard or, you know, uh, something that your ancestor has gone through. I don't know, uh, a conversation you had in passing. You know, it's like comes from different sources. And I think that's cool. And uh, we like to stay positive when sometimes you'll hear people be like, oh, well, this is just... 70s costume rock or something it's like well i mean people draw inspiration from different sources music is inspired by other music you know it's all kind of like a there's like an ether out there where music is like exists and people draw from it you know so it's like it all comes kind of from the same energy source but i don't know that's kind of going into like <laughs> esoteric <laughs> like philosophical shit you know yeah, i adore you're the esoteric one in the band and, and that one thing too i started talking about is i feel like and i don't know exactly if it's always this specific like there's matthew songs and there's dora songs but and that's how i talked about it in the video but i get that like matthew's the garage rock guy for the most part and kind of pop like he's like and when i say pop i mean like 70s 60s like good pop <laughs> and, you know, like, your songs are really short and kind of catchy and almost a little bubblegum. Like, uh, a little like when, um, like, Living the Dream especially. I kind of felt like it's like you're like, uh, uh, you know, it's it's kind of like Blue Oyster Cult when they got poppier in the mid-70s, you know? Like, <laughs> they still have the gonzo, you know, eccentric side, but their songs are catchy and kind of radio-friendly. And on Living the Dream, I feel like a lot of Matthew songs are like that. Like, I feel like in cooler times, these songs would be, like, hit songs. And Doris is definitely, you sound more like you're into the prog rock stuff. Like your stuff is more, it's just a little more out there, a little more psychedelic and a little more prog. Do you think that's a fair assessment of what kind of is distinct about what you both bring to the band? Yeah, you actually nailed it. I mean, I grew up in Memphis, grew up listening to soul records and, you know, stacks and all that type of stuff. And, you know, really grew up on AM Gold hits. And, um, you know, and then got into punk and garage and, you know, got into like 60s garage and the music machine and stuff like that. So that's kind of where I come from is like that department. And I was never really into Prague. Doris actually introduced me to that and (laughs) brought in that flavor and we sort of mixed the flavors and. And there's Dream Machine somewhere in those things, but uh, but no, that's actually a pretty good. uh, Yeah, it's accurate. Yeah, cool. (laughs) Now that. I, I know a thing or two about a thing or two. <laughs> I said, so with the, um, and I got to say, uh, I hear of Doris also, you know, um, uh, obviously when I first heard The Illusion, the first thing I thought was, God damn, Doris is doing some John Lord type shit. That's what I thought. That was the first oh, thing yeah. I thought. I and, heard it too. Yeah, I was just like, because, you know, listen, I again, I, and I know Doris isn't going to be offended by this, but a lot of times, and you guys know, because you were you, you were part of the indie scene there for a bit, you know, before you got canceled. But anyway, a lot of these indie rock bands, you know, they got like a cute girl, she'll have a keyboard, she'll noodle around on it a little bit, and it's cute, you know, you're like, yeah, that's cute. But Doris, like within a, like, just a few seconds of you playing, there's nothing cute about it. It's like, oh, fuck, she's doing some John Lord shit. Like, she's <laughs> really, really amazing. And I, Thank you. I would say I, you're classically trained, right? I'm guessing you're classically trained from my ears, anyway. It sounds like you are. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I'll, I'll just tell you, 
uh, in short, like I, I went to a conservatory in the Netherlands and I, I studied classical piano there, just like John Lord studied classical music. But um, I, I wasn't very, I wasn't a very good student because I guess you know I had like ADHD. I kind of would like tune out and then not really listen to what the teacher was saying. So I would just like kind of invent my own stuff. With classical things, and they hated that because you know, these are like classist types, right? You know, like you have to play Bach in the most pristine way, and here I am trying to make variations on uh, the you know Bach Toccata or whatever, and they're like, you know, that's like blasphemy. So, um, but it's funny that you mentioned that because I did draw a lot of inspiration from John Lord's playing. Uh, I mean, Child in Time is like. Sweet Child in Time. It's like, I mean, that whole album. We had it when my when my folks got divorced. My dad just kind of like let me put my records on the living room wall. So and Deep Purple and Rock was one of them. And um, yeah, he is a major major influence for me. And I, I would just listen to what he's doing in like those chord variations where there's actually a little portion um, on the album where he uses a chord variation of two varying chords. Where he just descends uh, down the down all scales, and I, like I heard that once, and that's actually something I use in a lot of my songwriting. So um, just like little things that I'd hear, go oh, okay, that's something different, you know. Wow, this is gonna be the most educated uh, episode we ever had. But I, <laughs> I feel I, I can't wait to get into it. We're gonna get into it in a minute. I just gotta say one thing too. Uh, first, and I'm gonna I'm gonna throw you both something here because i think both of you are at top of your game with the new album living the dream buy it now if you love rock and roll if you love just <laughs> music you should buy this album they only have three albums so buy all three why wouldn't you buy all three be cool buy all three oh. albums and then another thing too i love yeah. one thing too i love uh with the especially with the album i heard the illusion I love how you guys follow um, the old school. We we call it in our in our little podcast community the rule of ten. You guys always keep it under like you know, you always keep it like around like ten tracks, or sometimes you'll throw in a couple more, but you always keep it like under forty minutes. And I missed that with albums back in the day. I think the CD age kind of ruined it. You know, <laughs> people would start putting too many songs on an album. You'd have too many songs that maybe don't belong on there. Whereas back in the 70s, early 80s, it's like they kept it down to 10, kept it under 40 minutes, and I don't know, I feel like an album was more of like a journey, an adventure, and then when the CD age came, it got kind of bloated, and it became more of an endurance trying to listen to an album, <laughs> and I love that about you guys, love that you keep it like that old school way. That's the way it's gotta be, you know, leave them wanting more is always what I've sworn by, because, you know, exactly. it's like it's like you don't want to totally exhaust a, a pool of ideas you know you want to like give them the cream of the crop at least you know you don't want but yeah you're you're so right about cd where people think like more is more but actually less is more you yeah. know or, or yeah, unless it's the white out al- unless you're like doing the white album it's like just keep it under like keep it like around 10 songs just keep it under 40 minutes that's all you need yeah, and that's like you had like Led and McCartney, and you know, and like if if you're dealing with a band that has songwriters like that, yeah, you might be able to fill up two discs, but not everyone can fill up two discs, you know. That's the thing, and yeah, your albums just definitely leave you wanting more. I tell you, that last track on the new album, Top of Creation, woo, yeah. I mean, got that. All I can say is that song sounds hard to play. <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah. you'd be surprised. It's it's we can't wait to get a group together in in the in uh, Amsterdam. We're we're talking to some people right now and putting it together. But ma- I mean, imagine playing that one to a a two thousand. You can jam that venue. one out. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and the yeah. world angry yeah. Malmsteen. More is more. So it's it's <laughs> funny because I. I uh, I like to make really long compositions, you know, that are almost kind of like only I would understand. And Matthew's really good about saying, okay, this is a cool melody, but you can't make this into a 20-minute, you know, like synth riff. So let's make it into this. And, and Matthew is like definitely that aspect of, of uh, making it kind of like a, you know... A, a, a tasty bite of something just like you take one it's like a dessert it's like you take one bite and it's like okay it's good but you can't have like five cakes you know no it's exactly. a perfect balance and that that jam <laughs> sessions oh god at the end when you guys do that jam session and a great bass playing by the way uh, matthew uh you're not just a great guitarist you're hey, also thanks. a great bass player uh but i love that set uh, section and also you know there's this one song which you haven't done a video for yet but I think you should is um, uh, you forgot to dream that song oh, I've been saying that this whole time I'm so glad you mentioned that I've been saying that because that's Matthew's songwriting and it's such a good song and yeah. and like we we're definitely going to work on that we've got yeah. an idea for a video so we'll see if it if it materializes but <laughs> yeah that song's just so catchy like I said obviously in cooler times. Like, I listen to that song, and I go, well, that's a hit song in cooler times. <laughs> but it's, it's so catchy. I think one, one thing that keeps me in line is when I saw Purple Rain, and the owner of First Avenue, the club Prince is playing at, confronts him, and he says, he says, you're in your own head. Nobody understands your music but you. He's like, you're messing up, you know, and I, I was like, huh, that's good to remember you're making it for other people to listen to. So it's like, keep it short. Keep, you know, people have people have their life to go back to. They can't just listen to a, a, a three hour record all day. And it's a balance, you know, you got to yeah. it's got to come from the heart, but it's also got to, you know, I mean, unless, hey, if, if somebody wants to just do something that that is totally their thing, that's cool, too, to each their own you know that's that's cool too but yeah we like to take that approach and i'm glad you mentioned that i went please <laughs> pastor matthew a little bit about that video because he'll be like <laughs> he'll be like oh no i don't know and i'm like no no, no you gotta make that into a video because you know a video that gets more gets more attention and this is your song and it's so cool and he's like oh i don't know so <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll pass around. Well, you know, we do our little comments on YouTube every now and then. I'll pass around about <laughs> it. So, uh, so let's lead into this. Uh, Doris, you already talked a bit about it, so we'll start with you about your the influence of Deep Purple and John Lord specifically as a a classical player who wants to rock out, and obviously John Lord was an inspiration to you. You want to expand on that? Yeah, sure. I mean, he's clearly a very talented keyboard player he as far as i'm aware uh was also classically trained um he's even i I believe played in uh in orchestras like proper classical orchestras uh certain bach pieces where he's just hired as like the organ player and he's there with his electric hammond uh organ and it's it's just so cool to see john ward of deep purple like playing (laughs) a proper classical orchestra it's like whoa um but yeah i i think actually in rock is the first album i heard my dad had a small little stack of uh of records in the attic and that was one of them 
And, uh, and, you know, I just listened to that record over and over again and kind of obsessed over it. And I remember in uh, high school, I don't know how the conversation came up, but our Dutch teacher, I went to school in the Netherlands, and our Dutch teacher was asking what songs we want to be buried to. And I remember, like, some kids being like, oh, you know, something from No Effects or, you know, Blink-182 and stuff <laughs> like that, or uh, No Doubt, you know, in those times. But I was like, something by Deep Purple, you know? And uh, and nobody was like, you know, everybody was like, oh, that's like old dad rock, you know? <laughs> but uh, that was, you know, that was a, a main influence. John Lord is, is it, I mean, he's he's nothing short of a, a keyboard genius, and, and his playing is um, is very distinctive. That's uh, I, looks like I picked just the right album because I didn't even know all that. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah, it's actually a major album for us. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's funny. The song I want to be buried to is "Circle of Hands" by Uriah Heep. Do you know that song? Yeah, we're we're oh, massive yeah. Uriah Heep fans. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, That's I bet, awesome. yeah, that'd be a great song to be buried to. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's, it's important to think about that kind of stuff, you know. And I, I'll be in a glass casket, slowly, very slowly, being brought down. So. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's pretty epic. That's a pretty epic burial. Yeah, I, I that wanna, sounds pretty cool. Yeah, that, that that's the plan. I want to be very confrontational, like you know. <laughs> take it, take it in. <laughs> Put like a photo of you looking very intensely or something directly into the lens, to where it looks like you're just looking at the whole. Uh... Oh, I like that. That freak people out. That's good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, yeah. uh, so uh, now we talked about John Lord, but uh, Matthew, I, I can't imagine if Rich, Richie Blackmore wasn't an influence, you know, it, at some point in your life in your formative music years. But so you want to talk about your, you know, your relationship with Deep Purple? Absolutely. I mean, you know, it, they're just at that really critical junction where, you know, you have psych and prog stuff from the seventies that's kind of right there at the dawnings of metal and it sort of is in the 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 sweet spot the venn diagram of like like three really three or four really good things connecting and it's you know it's just wow you know what i mean it's especially the way in rock starts it starts like a live concert you know they're just like and just rocking out and then it cuts out to that organ you know what i mean it's like whoa what 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 am i in for like yeah. what is <laughs> yeah i hear actually i also hear though some uh mark one influence in dream machine like when when i was thinking about dream machine i was thinking do i go mark one or mark two i hear a little bit of both but i decided oh fuck it, i go Gotta go with In Rock because that's their greatest album. <laughs> but um, is that right? Do you also kind of like some of the Mark One stuff? Because no one really talks about Mark One except for like Hush, you know. But I do hear a little bit of that, especially that third album. I really like a lot that no one talks about. That has like yeah. Blind and a lot of great songs. And so, what do you guys think about Mark One? I'm just kind of curious. If I recall correctly, uh, wasn't Vern on, on on that record too? That's Mark Three. That's Mark Three. Oh shoot! Okay, yeah. Well, Burn was like actually one of those songs that we really wanted to cover oh, live because it just oh, no. seems like Ooh, such nice. an epic. I love Mark. III, I love too. Burn. I mean, listen, you can't lose with the first four. I even like Mark Four, which is only one album. Come taste the band, but that's a great album. And yeah, yeah. I mean, it's all it's all good from the sixties and seventies. But yeah, it's funny though. I was because I was just on the kick where I was listening to that third album. And it was funny, you'll laugh at this, Eric, but I was like, listening to it, and I was just like, you know, 
Rod Evans, he gets a raw deal. He was actually a good singer. I don't see why they kicked him I out. Think he was pretty and, good. But, yeah. but, then, but then I listened to In Rock, and I was like, oh, yeah, that's that's why. <laughs> yeah, because that's when they decided to switch their sound, right? It's like that's yeah, when, yeah. when they were like, like let's yeah. go with the harder, heavier stuff. And obviously, like, yeah, that's as soon as you, as you hear Ian Gillen, it's like, oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot Ian Gillen. That's like why, great, yeah. <laughs> it's like the greatest rock and roll singer of all time. That's right. He's amazing. Yeah, so totally. Yeah, it, it's amazing. So let's dive into this album. You, uh, We'll start with you, Matthew. You talked about the, the first song a bit. So let's go into Speed King, you know. What do you think about Speed King? I know it's so awesome. You know he's got the, the ah, he's doing all that stuff, and you know it's. I, I feel like people weren't quite ready for it. You know to to like hear something like that. That I mean, it must have really blown people's minds to like come out with that kind of inflection on your vocals. You know what I mean? Taking it to like almost like what would end up being like Dio or you know something. You know the. What, what what that type of expression would end up kind of being like but uh, just starting with the cover just take a look at this these guys are saying we are the founders of your world we're the <laughs> ones carved onto the mountain you know it's like you just pick yep. it up and go yeah this is th- I'm, I'm ready for this one <laughs> and they're from the UK and taking like an American symbol you know it's like genius yeah, it's like a new, uh, rev- like a British invasion, but of just totally rocking metal. And I think Speaking was released as, um, I think there's a version of, called Kneel and Pray that was released as like a B-side in the Netherlands. And, and I think John Lord plays piano on it. Really? And I don't know about oh, that. Oh, that's interesting. Is that yeah. available on YouTube? I think so, yeah. I think you can look it up. and um, and But it's just basically speed king with piano wow um, that's interesting i've always loved that combination you know piano with electric guitar or or synthesizers or organs you know it's just something acoustic with something electric is is always it, it, it creates such a nice contrast you know it's interesting doris i never really thought about it before but you bring up a good point because it's kind of like yeah them kind of appropriating america with the mount rushmore because in a sense, that's what the Brits did with rock and roll. You know, Kim's comes from <laughs> you know comes from the South in America, and then yeah, these Brits come along and they make it more epic, more Technicolor, and it's yeah. kind of like it, in it, even if it was kind of subconsciously, it's kind of like that's what they're doing with this cover, showing like yeah, yep. we took your rock and and it makes sense because even in the lyrics, they they're singing like Tutti Frutti and stuff like that, like they're referencing fifties rock and roll. They words. are, yeah. Yes, I don't know are. if they did it on purpose, if it was like necessarily because they were trying to, you know, bring something across. But it does seem like it, you know, just reading the clues and stuff. And that's a great yeah. insight. I didn't even <laughs> think of that. That they're yeah. actually throwing those little things back. <laughs> yeah, it's just like because that was like that's what what Little Richard was doing. Like in the fifties, that's what we're doing now in nineteen seventy. But we're it, but you gotta fucking up the ante. You know, it's gotta be louder, heavier, faster, and that's why I like. I don't. I'm. I don't identify as a metalhead. Uh, we, we talk about a lot of heavy metal on this podcast, but I always say I'm a rock and roller. I love rock music, and to me, you know, heavy metal at its best is at its core, it's rock and roll. Like, let me a Motorhead, 
you know, he, he referred to it as rock and roll. ACDC yeah. referred to it as rock and roll. You know, to me, when metal stopped being rock and roll is when it kind of lost its soul a bit, you know. And this is like, this, this is heavy metal. But, you know, I'm going to get into that a little bit. But first, Eric didn't really talk about, he, like you, Doris, has this relationship with this album, too. This is a very important album in his life. So what, what's your history of in rock? And then segue into Speed King from that, Eric. For sure. Um, this is a very important album for me because this is actually um, the first album that I bought on vinyl. Now, I had I, I had been buying, you know, I'm a child of the 90s. I had been buying CDs, uh, getting CDs for my birthday, whatnot. Uh, vinyl wasn't a big thing as it was, you know, vinyl wasn't as big as it is nowadays because it had the recent explosion in the past, like, you know, 10, 15 years. But uh, I was in that in-between phase where it still wasn't real popular. Well, I had become a big Deep Purple fan in middle school. You know, I love Led Zeppelin, and uh, I, I do like them, but there was I started discovering bands like Black Sabbath and Deep Purple, like their kind of uh, their competition, if you'll say. And I don't know, just something about those bands just blew me away, and it just, I guess I gravitated more towards them, because everyone talked about Zeppelin, but no one really talked about Sabbath. No one talked about Deep Purple, and I'm like, man, these bands still are just so good. And looking up footage of them on YouTube, and my dad had Made in Japan, which, you know, I started listening to that, and it just blew me away. And I wanted to get this album, and I could never find it on CD at any stores or anything. Well, uh, I was with this uh, this group in middle school, and on the weekends, you know, we do like you know functions like charity functions, whatnot. We go to food drives and whatnot, and while their uh, meeting center was in this, like, kind of duplex-ish kind of building, and they were upstairs, and below them, they had a bike shop and a record store, and so after I'd do, like, my meetings there, we'd, you know, do our stuff, I would go to the record store and wait for my mom to pick me up, and sometimes I'd have a couple bucks on me from, you know, whether it's doing chores or whether it was from, you know, birthday money or whatnot. And I'd buy some records, because this is, you know, this before the record boom happened in, like, the, you know, 2010s, or, like, nowadays, if you go to a record store, you're going to be spending, like, probably 30 bucks on, like, one album, whereas back then, they still hadn't blown up just yet, so I could go in there with probably, like, you know, 20 bucks and walk out with, like, a pretty good stack of records. Yeah, it's like a CDs now. That's what exactly. records were like in the 90s, yeah. And, man, the... The guy that worked there was so cool. He, he kind of looked like how he kind of looked like Ray Manzarek, but not like Ray Manzarek in the '60s, more like Ray Manzarek in like the the '80s when he had like kind of the buzz cut. Ooh. And he was super cool. He would always uh, he's the kind of guy you know if you walked in there and you had three albums, you're like, oh crap, I, I'm like a couple bucks short. I might put one back. He would kind of just he'd be like, forget about it. just just get three of them and just give me what you got. Nice. So yeah, really cool guy. Ooh great mom and pop kind of record store and my mom would go in there with me and we'd just buy a bunch of records and this is the first one I bought because wow. I had to get it I just couldn't find it on CD anywhere and you know and there's no on Amazon you couldn't order stuff on Amazon without having to wait like a month shipping back then wasn't what it is now where you could get something overnight like you'd have to wait so I was like man I'm just gonna get this on, on vinyl because my mom had just gotten her record player all set up again and Man, I, I bought this one. I bought a couple others. I think I bought some Rush, uh, Rush vinyl, uh, a couple Kiss because I, uh, you know, I'm a huge Kiss fan. 
and I forget what else, but I got I think the Cry Kid soundtrack too because I love that song <laughs> the best. <laughs> I bought a bunch of I bought a bunch of vinyls, but this is one of them because I was like I need to own that album because I keep hearing like samples of it and I see the videos on YouTube and just sounds awesome and what a what? way to listen to this album for the first time like on vinyl yeah. because it's such a vinyl age kind of album. Was it a yeah, good man, copy? It, did, did it sound good? Oh, it sounded amazing. It was it was in good condition. It was in good condition. So was this the U.S. version? So was it the short? No, unfortunately, it was the U.S. version. Yeah. Which I because we're gonna talk about speed. I'm gonna be talking about Speed King. I like the U.K. version because it sounds like uh, like uh, Matthew said. It sounds like a, a rock band coming on stage. And you just hear like the feedback and all that <laughs> shit, and it's so cool. Whereas. You know, not against the version on the U.S., but it, it just doesn't sound as cool when you hear the U.K. version. But, man, I love Speed King. I think this was the song that made me want to get this album. It was either this one or Child in Time. Um, but this song is just so phenomenal. I saw a video of them. They're, like, on some TV show or something performing this live. And just the thing that stands out to me about Deep Purple is just especially the Mach 2 lineup, just all of them have something. If you take away one member of that band, you're losing so much because each person just brings something to the table. They're like the like the fucking Justice League of, you know, early hard <laughs> rock uh, heavy metal, you know? And I see, like, Richie Blackmore swinging his guitar around and, like, doing all these tricks, like, playing it behind his back, like, throwing it on the ground and, like, playing with his feet. Ian Gillen so just... Awesome screaming his ass off and that oh i I was a singer so i I love like ian gillen just you know he he inspired a lot of heavy metal singers i'll talk about that more on a particular song on the album but man he's just screaming that organ by john lord this song's just amazing man it's a short punchy fast furious and to the point and just really shows that this band you know they're forced to be reckoned with and uh, I know Richie Blackmore was the one actually that steered them in this direction because between Book of Talisman and this album, that that transition phase when they went from a psychedelic band to being you know you know basically early '70s heavy metal, they did a orchestra album where they performed with a full the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra, and John Ward wanted to go in that direction, and they basically had an agreement that if that album succeeded. <laughs> they would go in the classical direction, whereas if it didn't succeed, then they'd go at Richie Blackmore and go in more of a hard rock, heavy metal direction. Obviously, the Philharmonic album didn't do so well, and we get a piece of heavy, early heavy metal, hard rock history right here. Love yeah. speaking. You know, I never listened to that. That's actually the, and I'm a big. That's actually really fan. good. I love that. I, album. I don't actually have that album. That's the only album of theirs from their sixties and seventies I don't own. Oh, I, I love I, it. I, I got an issue with orchestras and rock bands. Oh yeah, that's right. You don't because you. Yeah. I remember you say you don't like TSO. <laughs> no, I don't like TSO. I don't. I mean, maybe I was scarred for life by the Metallica S and M album. Oh yeah, I, that was terrible. I, 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 it's horrible. I I don't know. So I'm curious though. Well, because I know Doris is classically trained, uh, so you might not have the same aversion to orchestras with rock music. I know. Where do you stand on that? Well, it, it's kind of like a delicate balance, right? Because, you know, classical music is, it's like the very rational end of music. It's very calculated and very, you know, it, it can be spontaneous and, and, and crazy and wild, too. But, you know, normally classical music is just kind of... At least the way I perceived it when I had to go to school for it was that it was a little bit boring. <laughs> so, but you know, when you when you take 
some of those classical pieces and you, and you take an electric organ or electric guitar, it can sound so cool. Like some of the Ingrid Momstein stuff that's like classical, crazy guitars and even some of uh, the rainbow stuff like is, oh, yeah. has some pretty heavy classical influences. So it can be done correctly, I think. And, um, and it, I think um, I'm, I'm a massive fan of, of a classically influenced Prague. Like Rick Wakeman's stuff, like his solo stuff, like King Arthur on Ice, was a huge flop because, you know, it was accompanied by ice skaters and you know these theatrical, you know, like costumes and horses and you know. It was it's a just, weird idea. It was a weird <laughs> idea, but like I'm I'm the one person who's that. like all over. It. I love it. You know, King Arthur on Ice. That sounds so <laughs> good. But most people are gonna be like, that sounds like the worst idea ever, and it probably was, but. You know, so I'm I'm a little bit more leaning towards like yeah, it can it can definitely be done. It can be overdone. I like the overdone stuff, but I can see why people don't Just really grab it. Leave, yeah. leave it alone. Don't yeah. d- don't dilute it with orchestras <laughs> yeah. and strings. And- yeah. But I get it. I get it. When it does happen, I'm I'm all in. You know, if, like I can really nerd out on this. <laughs> for the record, I'm not saying like I mind an orchestra sometimes being used. <laughs> on a rock song, you know, as part of a certain song or a certain piece. It's just the idea of, like, here's a rock band, we're playing live with an orchestra, you know? And I, I, yeah, I, yeah. maybe I should give this Deep Purple album with the I think orchestra you like it because, a shot. Yeah. I think you like it as the fact that they're not doing Deep Purple songs, they're doing, like, an actual, like, uh, they're doing, like, a, a piece that they wrote, so it's more like an orchestra, it's like an orchestra performing, like, classical music, but they got a rock band accompanying them. As opposed yeah. to an uh, orchestra joining a rock band to do their stuff. So I think you'd probably like it a little bit more in that aspect. All right, all right. I'll give it a I, I see what you're saying, though. Like, are you, are you talking about, like, the recent rendition of, of... I think I saw one of Burn, where it was pretty recent, maybe, like, 2015, and it's just just totally ridiculous, like, violins and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's, like, it's just like, okay, song. yeah, yeah. I, I see what you guys are talking about. Yeah, no, that, that stuff I'm not down with either. But, like, if, if it's... <laughs> If it's like Prague, like classical Prague stuff, like recorded, but yeah, I, I see what you're saying. I, I'm, I don't really, I'm not a huge fan of like trans Siberian orchestra and stuff like that. But I could see also if you are there in the crowd, it could be pretty epic. But whenever it's recorded on video and they put it on YouTube and it's just like, oh. Ah, oh, the pain, the cringe. <laughs> That's what Eric always tried to tell me. He's always like, oh, it's the most amazing concert. It's great. Yeah, so it was awesome. I'm, it's like I'm that, actually seeing them uh, Friday. It's like that fucking Mariah Carey song to me. I hate it. Oh, I, I, I oh don't, that hurts. No, I don't want to hear any of that Christmas shit. I can, like, deal with some Christmas music. I don't mind, like, Elvis Christmas or, like, Phil Spector Christmas. But uh, I, it's a low tolerance, though. <laughs> It's a very low tolerance. It's got to be pretty, pretty good Christmas music for me to like it. That's all I got to say. If it, okay, here's a question: If Dream yeah. Machine was accompanied by uh, like a big orchestra, I'm talking like let's let's go with like 30 violin, Uh-oh. like uh, like 30 string uh, instruments. You know, maybe even a harp. You know, maybe <laughs> some of your song stores because they do have a classical element to them. Like, but I definitely wouldn't want to hear Matthew songs with an orchestra. Like, yeah, that, yeah that, <laughs> it, you know, that it's even like like with Metallica. Like, I didn't, mind, I didn't I didn't mind hearing like Orion and stuff like that with an orchestra, but I don't want to fucking hear like Master of Puppets or like like the more rock and trashy <laughs> stuff with orchestras. You know, that's the yeah. thing. 
you know. It's kind of like, how ridiculous can we make it? How many tickets can we sell? Like, yeah, it, it can definitely be overdone. Yeah, uh, but I mean, yeah, King Arthur on Ice is the only time I've been like, yeah, okay, this is this is really really cool. <laughs> this is very <laughs> excessive, but I like it. <laughs> yeah. It sounds awful, but yeah, it's. I I do have a I I do love the absurd, and that sounds a little absurd, so I might be into that. <laughs> uh, okay, so let me talk about Speed King. All right, yeah, uh, when I first listened to it, was not a vinyl experience like Eric. When I first listened to Speed King, it was a shitty uh, download from uh, iTunes. But I, you know, I downloaded the, a digital version of the album, and it was the U.S. version, so I heard the shortened version, and it kicked ass. Obviously, it just goes right into the song. So yeah, the song kicks ass. But then yeah, a little bit later, you know, I, I put up some money and bought like a remastered deluxe, like British edition, and that's when I heard. The real version, the UK version, I definitely do prefer it with the opening because, yeah, it's like a, like Matthew was saying, it's like a concert starting. There's pageantry to it, you know, and I like a little pageantry in my rock. Not an orchestra, two different things. (laughs) (laughs) You might think I'm contradicting myself a little bit, but there could be pageantry without an orchestra. Anyway, so I like the pageantry. And also because there's... There's that little moment, you know, before it kicks in where it's just like uh, John Lord's organ, so it gets kind of quiet for a second. So that just, there's a dynamic there. It just makes it heavier when Speed King kicks in. It makes it more rocking. So I do prefer it with the UK, you know, the full version. But either way, it's, you know, it's awesome. Even if they just go into it, it's still awesome. You could definitely hear, like, this is like proto thrash in its way like you can yeah. hear like, I know Lars Ulrich loved Deep Purple and you can kind of hear it and you can hear obviously Lemmy Motorhead Speed King it even sounds like it could be like a title of a Hawkwind or Motorhead song and it's uh, it's an awesome song I love it it's rock and roll cranked up to 11 and really fast and heavy and just one other thing I want to say about this album it was released the same year as Black Sabbath's first album Generally, everyone always says Black Sabbath is like the first heavy metal album. I don't know. I feel like this has a claim to it as well. I understand that, like, I think a lot of that goes is because of the title track, Black Sabbath. Like, yeah, that song is very heavy and the way it kicks in at the end and Mm -hmm. the imagery and also the album cover because the album cover is so sinister. But if you really listen to these albums back to back, this album is more consistently heavy, actually. I agree with you. I think than it's Black Sabbath, and yeah. it's less blues. There's less blues and jazzy jams that you have kind of on the first Black Sabbath album. This is pretty much a straight ahead proto metal album from first song to last. Yeah, I so, yeah. that too. I, I it's, it's one of those things that are always kind of felt like Black Sabbath is at its core, you know, born out of like heavy metal. But Deep Purple was more kind of like. I mean, the way that I've always perceived it is kind of they, they took a bunch of different things and made it their own, and, and it happened to sound heavy, if that makes sense. Like, because they started out more psychedelic, 60s, almost trying to do some poppy stuff and covers, right? And then they were yeah. like, what can we do to make this more authentically us? And, and correct me if I'm wrong, but they self-produced it, right? So it's all yeah. the members saying, like, this is what we should do, this is how we should play, and it's more, I feel like it could be seen as like a heavy metal album, but it's more just like its own magical, like, 
I don't know, creation or something. I and can't it was really 1970. Put it into words. You know what I mean? It's like people yeah. had flowers in their hair and stuff still, you know? So, the, I mean, it, it really is a groundbreaking. Yeah, think, yeah. yeah, I think yeah. this album at that time probably sounded like Slayer or something to people. Yeah, it probably did. <laughs> so yeah. intense. In 1970, it's the Slayer. Yeah. I think, yeah. too, Edwin, about the Black Sabbath thing, I think, <clears throat> I think it was because Black Sabbath, their debut came out like it's something like stupid, like a month or something before this one. You think the month so That's why the they. I think it, it made the difference because yeah. I do agree with you. I think consi- this album's more consistently like heavy metal, whereas Black yeah. Sabbath, yeah, there's some heavy metal songs on there, but there's also a lot of like kind of like jazzy or like you know yeah. kind of jazzy like stuff on there that's not really heavy metal that yeah. sticks out like a sore thumb. Whereas this one's kind of more consistent with that heavy chaotic sound. There ain't no harmonica on this album. You know what I mean? You know? <laughs> I'm kind of 50-50 on harmonica sometimes. Hey, I like harmonica. Don't get me wrong. I love the wizard. I'm just saying that I feel this is more consistently heavy. And I think also the fact that both um, John Lord and Richie Blackmore had a classical influence. I feel the classical influence, in a way, makes it a little more heavy metal, if you know what yeah. I mean. You know, like this sounds more proto-Judas Priest and proto-Thrash than the first Black Sabbath album. You yeah. know, And, and I love it. I love the first Black Sabbath album. Don't get me wrong. Oh, that's good. I'm just saying that I just think this is a little... Even though it's not what... Like Doris was saying, they weren't thinking metal. They were just thinking heavy. Heavy was just kind of a term being thrown around a lot. Like Led Zeppelin was heavy. Heavy. And, you know, Alice Cooper was heavy. But it wasn't heavy metal per se. But I do think that they were kind of creating more pro- prototypical heavy metal with this album, even more so than Sabbath. Like, I, I think it's not really until the third Sabbath album that they really become, like, heavy metal, you know, Master of Reality. Whereas this is kind of like Deep Purple's Master of Reality. I think they're already kind of there. This is Actually, I think this is their heaviest album. They only got lighter after this. Don't, wouldn't you all agree with that? Yeah, I mean, it's... Yeah. it's- uh, yeah, it's, that's an interesting take. Yeah, I, I kind of, I've never really thought much about, like, which, you know, which genres they are, but that, that sounds pretty accurate, I think. Yeah. So, let's go into, well, this is a good segue for Bloodsucker. What do you think of Bloodsucker, Doris? Um, I mean, it's it, it's just, it, you know what I've always felt with In Rock? Is that it's yeah. just, it, it almost feels like a concept album. That, like, one song goes into the other very nicely mm-hmm. and it's just like it just fits so perfectly and um but i mean it's it's a great song it, and you know i it's it's just epic and what do you think of it matthew what do you think of bloodsucker i <clears throat> i mean i love it i would almost say i like the first half of the record with some exception better than the second half but maybe around like the 60 to 70 percent mark i'll say it it is sort of i started kind of glazing over a little bit like but then they bring it back at the end but i mean the first half is like dynamite we i'm not as familiar with it as maybe i should be but i you know like i'm trying to think i'm like bloodsucker which how did that one go again what do you guys think that song's about because i've always tried to figure out the lyrics wouldn't like, it like I, a I Vietnam War you know, thing? I'm, yeah, I'm not sure. I think it's, it's just kind of a son of a bitch. Like, that person's a bloodsucker. Like, you're just, you're like yeah. a, a low-down kind of person. But maybe vampire, in a way. Or, yeah, maybe it has something to do with Vietnam. 
Uh, I do agree with what you say, uh, Matthew. Even if you, you're not, you haven't listened to this album quite as many times as me, you are kind of... Look, look, I love all this album. I think it's all great. But I will say the first three songs... In my opinion, the greatest Deep Purple songs ever. So it is a, it's in, but then it does come back in a big way at the end too. You're right. So, but I do, uh, I, I have, I do love the whole album, but it's definitely the first three songs are the strongest songs on this album. Bloodsucker is probably my favorite Deep Purple song, actually. It's, it's a really awesome song. The way I would describe it, Matthew, it's kind of, you know, it's like heavy, but it's also got a little funkiness to it. And it's just, and, Ian Gillen's vocals, he's just like so, he's such a badass. He just sounds tough on it. And, yeah. you know, it's like he's almost jiving. He's kind of jiving in the verses. Like, you hear, this is like where, like, Sabbath and James Brown meet, like, in this song, you know? It's just like, it's kind of strutting and tough and funky and hard rocking and heavy all at the same time, which, as Eric knows, is a big thing <laughs> of mine. Because I love a lot of, like Matthew, I love a lot of soul music and old soul music and, R&B along with rock and roll and metal. So, I know, Bloodsucker just kind of has it. It has a groove. It has a swerve to it, but it's also really heavy. And and then he does the screams. Like, I mean, the whole band shines yeah. throughout this album, but those screams are sounds, oh my god, I mean, I couldn't even come close to doing it. It but doesn't sound like 1970. And I just looked no, it up. Yeah. Just uh, I gotta correct myself. Child in Time is the Vietnam War related That kind of makes sense. That was, yeah. Because yeah. it's a heavy depressing song and amazing and we're going to get into that in a little bit i imagine that's going to be the big discussion oh, <laughs> child yeah. of time uh but yeah bloodsucker is this bad? i don't know i mean objectively objectively i can hear child and time is the greatest deep purple song i feel that science uh, objectively <laughs> i just hear it's like a perfect song it's like they're stairway to heaven it's like a it's just a it's a perfect masterpiece but subjectively i'm going bloodsucker so something about Bloodsucker, it's just like hits that sweet spot for me. I just love that song. And Ian Gillen, I mean, God damn, he just, like, what he's doing, like, as soon as you hear that, you're just like, this is one of the greatest rock and roll singers of all time. I just love it. What do you think of Bloodsucker, Eric? I fucking love it, man. Just a great, uh, kind of more of a mid-tempo song after Speed King, but man, just a sick riff by Richie Blackmore. And man, Richie Blackmore, I, I didn't say this earlier, but he is probably my favorite 70s guitarist. He's just so fucking amazing. Just every, his showmanship, his playing, just the emotion he has, but just the fact he's kind of like a madman. I just love, love Richie Blackmore. My opinion, best guitarist of the 70s. I love Paige, you know, and I love Iomi, but there's something about Richie Blackmore, man. I think he just blows them all away, in my opinion. Just a phenomenal song, man. Great way, you know, after you have a fast and furious song like Speed King, you gotta slow it down like a more mid-tempo kind of song like Bloodsucker. And uh, Ian Gillen, too, man, you're right. He's just screaming his ass off again. But he's also jiving, too, man, on those verses. And, you know, it's a totally different style. I feel Ian Gillen gets overshadowed a lot because, obviously, they had the Mach 3 lineup where he had... Glenn Hughes and freaking David Coverdale both singing in the band, and it kind of overshadowed Ian Gillen. But, I, you know, he's amazing. And but I, it's, just, I, it's just one of him. That's the thing. It took two guys, two great singers. Exactly. One Ian Gillen. And I, I compare Ian Gillen as, I don't see him as kind of like a, a, a David Lee Roth or a, a Paul Diano in that, yeah, he's the person that succeeded him as technically a better singer if you want to be technical about it 
but there's just something about his attitude and like the rawness that his voice has. It just it, you can't replicate that with technique. You know, it's just something unique that you know it's in it's in the soul instead of the the vocal cords. You know, I love yeah. Bloodsucker. Attitude. Great song. And I, I find it funny that they later on have a song called No 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 on Fireball. Or <laughs> you think this song would be called No 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 because he says that multiple yeah. times in the song. And it's yes. a good choice for for a, a second song after um, oh, speaking, because it's like it's more. I think it's in a major scale, and it's like you know, it's it's more. I don't know, just grooving and stuff, and maybe a little bit less super super intense for right when you're about to go into childhood time, like do 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 You know, and it's just yeah. kind of like okay, this is more, more like simplistic a, too. This is where you spark the the doobie in the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> And going into, uh, Doris, you gotta talk about Child and Time first. Obviously, this is a big song for you. And also, I just, like, I hear, of all the songs on this album, this is the song that sounds the most kind of Dream Machine-ish. So, you know, talk about Child and Time. Let's talk about this epic. What do you think sure. of it? Sure. You want me to start off? Alright, well, yeah. thank you. It's <laughs> one of my favorite songs ever. Yeah. It, yeah, it's, and, and it's, um, you know what? Actually, I think it was inspired off of a band called A Beautiful Day. If, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, it was one band from 1969, and it was an instrumental song that they um, that they recorded. And and um, Lord was just kind of like messing around when they were when they were practicing, I guess, and played a slowed down version and more of a minor, heavier. Version and it's awesome to solo and to and to play. I I play it regularly because it's in an A minor scale. So an A minor doesn't have any uh, sharp key or uh, sharp notes or anything. So you can just freely solo and play any notes without having to think about like a C sharp or an F sharp or something. So that's cool. Um, but then obviously the song itself, it's like it, it's it's slow and and steady at first, and then it just you know, Ian Gillen just gets all crazy with those vocals building up, but he doesn't give it all to you at first, you know? He, like, kind of holds back a little bit, and it's just, like, such, it's such an experience. It's it's like a laser light show for your, your ears or something. It's probably one of Deep Purple's most emotive songs. Like, you know, he's really feeling it in the vocals, and, you know, it has the good dynamics, and it just really connects. Yeah, it's a, it's amazing. It's got, it's a technicolor song like yeah they're hitting it all and okay it's kind of um i'd say obviously even though it's this is the one song that i think kind of links back to mark one a little bit like musically it's a little psychedelic and it's a little softer but then when it gets heavy it gets very heavy and ian gillen's doing these like proto rob halford type vocals which obviously you can hear the influence he had on rob halford and a lot of heavy metal singers because this would be the quote-unquote banshee vocals like the banshee heavy metal vocals also you know you know king diamond you know you and all that kind of stuff. you could definitely hear king diamond must have been this must have been a very important song for him when he was a little kid oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. about formative years you know and yeah i mean i don't think there was a singer before ian gillen that did this that hit that range at least in rock music and it's amazing and you know like Matthew and Dora said there's this build up in the beginning he doesn't give it to you all right away but then when it hits man you're like god damn it I can only imagine what people in 1970 you know 
felt. Like, it might have been too much for them. It was probably like that Marty McFly bit in, like, Back to the Future. Like, you're, not, you're not ready for this. Like, is he yeah. doing, like, full-fledged, screaming, heavy metal, banshee vocals here? It's amazing. But the but it's not just about that part. I mean, the whole, the mood, you know, it's got a little bit of a Dorsey vibe in the beginning, you know, with the... With the is that, by the way, is that a Hammond organ? What's, what's he playing, Doris? I'm pretty sure it's a Hammond B3, yeah. Okay. It's a classic Hammond, and, and yeah, those driving notes, the G and the A, do, 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 you know, that's like... Yeah. The, it starts off so mellow song. that if yeah. you're not paying attention, by the time you're at the end, you're like, is this the same song? It's just <laughs> roaring. <laughs> yeah. And, it, and it's very organic, the way it evolves, too. Like oh, the totally. ocean, ocean yeah. waves, you know, like an ocean just picking up, and then you're like in the middle of a storm. You're like, oh shit, I'm in the middle middle of a storm. You know, it's it's amazing. It's one of the greatest rock songs ever written. It's a, it's an amazing song. What do you think, a child in time, Eric? Oh shit, this song, man. It, uh, like you, like you're saying, I mean, this is a song that pretty much inspired every freaking heavy metal singer afterwards you know every interview i've read with whether it's king diamond bruce dickinson lizzie borden all those guys this song is always like they always point at deep purple and specifically this song like oh i heard child in time i'm like i want to do that it's just this song inspired so many great heavy metal singers because he was he was doing that those screams that, like, you know, and even, like, Robert Plant, who was doing, like, you know, some high screams on those early Zeppelin albums, it just, it's not the same as, uh, as, as what Ian Gillen was doing. He was doing it with, like, such an aggression and just this banshee-type scream, a very different than what uh, Plant was doing. It just inspired so many great heavy metal singers. You know, the funny thing is, this song, this is the song, one of the songs that made me buy this album uh, when, you know, I was in middle school, but I used to, when I was in elementary school, and this is pre-YouTube, what I would do, I would go to the mall, and my parents would let me just go, because I would hang out at, like, the, I'd go to the stores I like to go to, and they'd kind of let me do my thing, and, like, they'd call me on my little crappy, like, flip phone thing to be like, hey, I'm here, come meet me here, and we're, we're leaving. My favorite store to go to was the Barnes & Noble bookstore, and I'd go in the music section, they had this device. And you can type in, you can scan a CD, or you can type in an artist, and you look up all their CDs, and you can listen to, like, 30-second samples of every song on the album. And that's what I used to listen to. I so remember like, those things. Yeah, because, like, this is, you couldn't just go on YouTube and type in, like, oh, I want to hear this Deep Purple album, or I want to hear this. You know, you couldn't do that. You know, and there's no, iTunes wasn't that big yet. You know, they didn't, you know, iTunes was in its primitive stage, so that's how I listened to albums. You know, I listened to 30-second sam samples on that machine and that's how I'd figure out like what album I'd want to get next and this is one where like anytime I went on a Deep Purple album where it was like made in Japan or it was in rock they played like the mellow section of this song and you know I'm a young kid and like <laughs> this probably had to be elementary school and I'd be like oh that's all mellow like yeah that song probably sucks and I'd like skip through it because all they play is the mellow part whereas when I got older I was in middle school YouTube was the thing I looked the song up because I heard so many great things about it, and it blew my mind. It's just an epic song, and, you know, I talked about Ian Gillen's vocals, and that's the main thing that gets talked about with this song, but also, too, the musicianship of this band, that the the jamming that they do in the middle of it, and I, I love when Deep Purple does jams, 
I'm not a jam band kind of guy, but when Deep Purple does it, they do it real well because it just there's no bore. It doesn't bore you at any point. It's just always entertaining. It's like a roller coaster ride, you know. Richie, you know Richie Blackmore, man, he can play just like some amazing souls. We add so much emotion. I feel every note. I feel the pain or the just the emotion in every single note he plays. It's just phenomenal. Everyone's on fire on this song. Fucking love it. My second favorite song off the album. Yeah, I guess this is my second favorite song too, after Bloodsucker. Even though I acknowledge it's the best song. It's I used to drive my mom nuts because I would always I was the singer so like when I was a little kid I'd try and sing the song and you know I'd piss my mom off because I'm trying to hit those high notes. Yeah. Oh I yeah. This... You... <laughs> I bet you didn't hit them, did you, Eric? I, I tried. <laughs> I tried. I'll say that. It was also this song was also in the movie Twister. I I never actually saw that movie, so I didn't know that. That movie traumatized me as a kid. <laughs> I, was, I was scared of tornadoes. You thought you might have to spend two hours with Helen Hunt? What? Or is it the tornado? What traumatized you? The, the tornado. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, the okay. Van Hagar song, too, but... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, Doris, Flight of the Rat. Let's flip this uh, record over. What do you think of Flight of the Rat? Oh, well, Flight of the Rat, I mean, that's... Uh, that was definitely inspired by Flight of the Bumblebee, so that's classical. I've, I've had to learn that one. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's, it's an epic song. I mean, you can hear that influence and just the, that, that combination where, where, where John Lord just kind of, I don't know, it just feels like they really, as they were practicing, maybe he was messing around with that. And I do that too, you know, so I relate to that, where you're just playing a classical song for rehearsing and then like okay let's make this into an absolute masterpiece but uh it's a great song it's a total banger i i never thought of that i never realized it was flight of the bumblebee but yeah that makes sense so, uh, <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah it feels like it, it came out of just messing around you know like they were messing around with that and they were like hey man let's just bastardize this and just you know cook it into a a deep purple song but good bastardization oh yeah Better, yeah. like better bastardization. Best, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a, it's good side two opening because you know it's offbeat, kind of keeps the party going. Yeah, it has that cool effect. I like the effect on the guitar. It sounds like is that you guys would know because you're a little more tech savvy than I am. Is that like a Leslie speaker? Is that that you know that speaker where everything sounds kind of distorted and really hot? Is that yeah, yeah. A, a Leslie speaker? It's actually a rotating speaker that would give before they you know really had effects pedals and stuff i think they did use an octave pedal on this album but um but yeah they would actually just use a leslie which is just a, a it's like a centrifuge it, it, yeah. it like captures a sound and it just shakes it around like spins it around and then as it comes out like have you ever been to um a, a concert or i don't know listen to a record in your room and if you're like bouncing up and down you hear your ears go i have actually yeah it's like a physical tremolo yeah yeah, yeah it's like bending sound physically yeah wow that's awesome that's like dr frankenstein like peter cushion like doing <laughs> yeah, something totally. uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's great <laughs> See, it's a, a flight of rat. I love it. It's it's fucking Doctor Frankenstein. Uh, flight of the Bumblebee turned proto metal. What do you think of it, Eric? Uh, it's amazing. So it's funny. You, you get one epic, and then you get another one right after it. Uh, just seven seven minutes that don't feel like seven minutes. It's just so killer. 
again, another one where just everyone's on fire. You know, every member of the band shines. And I, I, I love the little drum, like the little uh, drum solo by Ian Pacey at the end. And, man, what what an underrated drummer. I, I feel bad because it's kind of like, you know, the big three of the 70s, like proto-heavy metal era, Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath, and Ian uh, Deep Purple. I feel like Ian, Ian Pacey, unfortunately, as amazing as he is, he gets overshadowed by Bill Ward and John Bonham. Uh, but man, he's he's a great drummer in his own right. I remember getting pissed off seeing a, a YouTube video comparing like you know all these different drummers, and he was on there and they showed a drum solo of his, and someone's like, oh, he's just overrated. He was just doing a bunch of snare rolls and this and that. And I was like, have you ever somebody heard Ian I, Casey? Somebody uh, said that he was overrated. Yeah, the guy it's was the saying, opposite. He's well, he wasn't saying he wasn't saying overrated, but he's like, why is he on here? He's not really that great. You know, I'm like, are you kidding? If you listen to any of these, like, Deep Purple albums, you listen to The Mule, the guy is amazing. And he drums so casually. Yeah. Like, I- like he has that, like, um, he makes that look on his face, like, I'm just doing this with so much ease, and he does it so perfectly. Yeah, and, and not even too, which is interesting. Yeah, yeah. It always looks interesting seeing them perform. Yeah, I, 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 I'm glad you brought up Ian Casey because I was going to bring him up if you didn't. Yeah, a very underrated drummer. He's awesome throughout this album. Oh, amazing! Very good. He's amazing. Yeah, more people should be talking about him. He's he's an amazing drummer. I mean, I like he didn't get to do this kind of stuff in White Snake, but him and you know, same with John Lord. You know, they kind of it was kind of like a paying gig with White Snake. They go in there, they do their parts in the '80s. They didn't like keyboardists and drummers doing a lot of crazy things, you know? They they had to be yeah. reined in, you know? We talked about this with Judas Priest and other bands. Like, once it's the 80s, they suddenly, suddenly, like, the fun stops for the drummers, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but, or they're replaced by machines. Or they're yeah. replaced by machines, you know? But uh, but this, but in the 70s, you know, man, forget about it. He gets to do all this fun stuff. And... He's amazing throughout this album. I love him. He's one of my favorite drummers. He had a, and he was just a cool looking dude too. If you ever see pictures of him, you know, like Doris was saying, he's just got this cool vibe. He's a cool guy. Awesome drummer. Very, very, very underrated. He's actually yeah. one of the rock drummers from the seventies. And you know, he, this guy had energy too. This goes into Into the Fire. I want to start off Into the Fire because I just want to say that this is a song I was listening to. This. I love it is it, there's a Doris will probably get this because you know being a keyboardist but one thing I'd say for the most part I feel like uh, Raymond's Eric from the Doors he did introduce some of this uh, some of the heavier playing like he, you would hear like on Not to Touch the Earth or like Waiting for the Sun there would be like moments where the keyboard doubled the guitar and it got like kind of heavy like proto heavy metal but the difference is that was just occasionally. For the most part, Raven's Air played like in a jazzy or bluesy way. Whereas the difference is like with um, John Lord is he played that way for most of the songs. Like almost all the songs had this doubling up. And you have that Into the Fire is a great example of that where the, the and this was kind of the classic deep purple sound where the, the keyboards are kind of doubling up the guitars and just making things even heavier like that's one thing a lot of bands didn't learn like later on in the 80s and 90s is that potentially an organ can make the music even heavier something you understand (laughs) but this (laughs) this organ comes in it just makes it so fat sounding you know like he's doubling up this riff 
it, in some ways, it's kind of like what Ozzy and Tony Iommi are doing vocally and with the guitars. You know, they're kind of doubling it up a little bit. But that's that's to me like kind of the quintessential sound, and it's kind of foreshadowing. I think the next two songs kind of foreshadow Machine Head a little bit, uh, uh, and where they're kind of where they're kind of going. You know, and. And I feel like this is like, yeah, this is where the keyboards and the guitars are kind of coming in and creating this really great riff. So what do you guys say about that, Doris? Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it is a really, really heavy riff, and it, the Hammond really just ties it all together. It's like the glue of the song and um, just the chromatic scale, you know, it like causes a little bit of, it's like not too much tension in there, but it's also not like a happy, like major song, if that makes sense. I don't know. It's like... Yeah. It's it's right there in between, and uh, yeah, very very solid song. I think also one of Lord's songs, if I'm not mistaken. And I just opened my cliff notes here. It was written by Richie Blackmore as a warning against doing oh. drugs. Oh really? Oh, warning so, so against it drugs. It was a Richie Blackmore song. Okay, yeah, yeah, well, my that, bad. I yeah, thought it was Richie a John Blackmore. Lord song. I thought for sure it was John Lord, just because he is pretty prominent on that song. But no, no, no. Written by Glover. It was written by Glover. Really? So written about Glover. My- but, My mistake. But, but, oh. Well, that makes sense because it's kind of it's very rhythmic. It's very about this riff. Yeah, that's yeah. true. I mean, yeah. I mean, if you're part of if you're uh, the bassist, then it's like it's, you can you can kind of hear that. It's kind of that rhythmical. But in the lyrics, a warning against drugs. Very important. Yeah, I very very ironic considering that in 1970, <laughs> all the people listening to this. I know, they probably did lots you, of them. You don't have to look at too much deep purple footage to see there was some <laughs> drug use going on. It's kind of obvious and very obvious. And uh, But honestly, I could also see some of the members of Deep Purple being pretty, like, like sober, if that makes any sense. I, could, I don't no, know. I like I how can, Saxon was. I could see that. I could see that. Well, and yeah. you guys are sober, right? You don't do drugs or anything like that. You don't. We don't drink. No, we're, yeah. we're non-drinkers. You know, we. I, I I used to drink and I quit at a certain point. I had a uh, I had a near death experience. Oh and, shit! Uh, Sorry to hear that. Non-drug related. I, people think, oh, he's a musician. Oh boy, he probably had a, a <laughs> needle in his arm or something. But no, no, nothing like that. It was just, but it, it caused me to kind of wake up and go, hey, I should play my chips a little differently so yeah we, we both don't drink but uh i'll occasionally enjoy a um <clears throat> a green cigarette or something you know just to okay. kind of change up the you know get a little inspiration flowing or something but hard drugs it it doesn't end too well i've had some friends affect them pretty strongly and you you just have to witness that and go whoa i don't know if i want any part of that yeah, yeah. i don't want to know how high that gets you right because people go and they go hey man i'm I'm good up here. I don't want to come back down. You know? I'm fully sober. <laughs> I can't even handle a cup of coffee. Like I, I wow. just, I, no I can't, can't take it. <laughs> yeah, I, I got that vibe from you guys. I got that vibe that you didn't drink or do drugs or anything. You seem fairly healthy. But you know, people would know if they listen to your albums because the music's good. So <laughs> we're new age, we're new age health nuts. If you really boil us down, we, we we play it pretty straight because you know it's. It's a rough road, you know. You see people. I've had people 
you know, band yeah. members collapse on stage. I've had people had to take people to the hospital because of their habits and things. It's like, oh my god, it just yeah. it's so annoying. And, I've you been know, there. I have a. I'm my day job is a screenwriter. I'm a screenwriter, and my ex co-writer he had some drinking issues. He was an alcoholic. He had a he lost his liver. He's a pretty big drinker. You know, I drink. I'm not, you know, I like to drink. I'm drinking some scotch right now. I'm drinking some Johnny Walker. But I don't, I know when to stop and I don't do hard drugs. I experimented a little when I was younger. But I, you know, but I know, and also I was a musician back in the day. So I'm a failed rock star. Turned lighter. <laughs> so I, so believe me, I know my share of people who, and also in my family. Yeah. It, a lot of people just can't handle their shit. And it's, it's too bad. I do think, you know, there is something. I mean, obviously, some artists can do it, and they can open up. And, like, you had people like the Beatles and stuff. They experiment, and it leads to good things. And, you know, they had the Doors and stuff. But then again, Jim Morrison dies. But then again, would he have yeah. made those albums if he didn't do what he was doing a couple of years prior? So it it's an interesting question. You guys, it's very impressive. because And I wasn't – I was kind of kidding on the square – because you guys do make really good music, and that really is unusual for people who are straight. Like normally, you got to be doing some drugs to make music as good as the music you guys make. So that, in some ways, makes it more impressive. <laughs> I was like, how do well, they do this sober? <laughs> we're not, we're not squares though. You know, we would never come down on somebody else. It's just you know, some people can hold it together, and some people just ain't holding it together. It's coming up, the wheels are coming off. And you're going, oh boy, here they go. Well, I grew up in the <laughs> Netherlands where they've legalized a lot of drugs. So like, I never really grew up with that um, that you know that stigma of you're not supposed to do this. You know, and because yeah. when you grow up with that, it makes you more inclined, I think, to want to try the thing that's forbidden. But I just never. You know, I'd see tourists, the stories of tourists jumping off of buildings and killing themselves, and I go, as, as you know, a nine-year-old, you hear that on the news, and you're like, okay, uh, yeah, I'll pass on that. But I have done uh, uh, psychedelic mushrooms, which are a, a great uh, mind-opening, uh, it's a great experience. I, I would recommend everybody try it with the right intention. They're not a party drug, I don't think. But Yeah, I do. You, you, know, you, you guys do the whole Joshua Tree mushrooms thing. Uh, not in Joshua Tree, but oh. yeah, I mean, it definitely, it's, it's a good experience, I think, for everybody to have, and I, I think it's um, definitely beneficial at just the whole thing of realizing that, you know, there is a certain veil on this on this world and society. And There you go, Doris Melton uh, tells the youth of America to take mushrooms. <laughs> you know, I hear, too, they've been helping a lot of, uh, there's a lot, because I'm a hockey fan, uh, a lot of the hockey players dealing with like uh, you know con- yeah, dealt with like a bunch of concussion issues. It's it's helping a lot of them uh, with their concussion issues and some of the CTE and stuff like that. I hear it's actually really helping a lot of athletes, and so they're actually like trying to push to you know get legalized for like you know for people that actually have like you know concussion issues. Yeah, and then they won't want to play hockey anymore, though. Like, oh, man, that's too aggressive. Like, Wait a minute, there's more They're than like, hockey. I've realized I'm a philosopher. <laughs> I quit the team, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Great. You shouldn't have recommended mushrooms, Johnny. But it's true about drugs and, you know, things that give you a, some access to something in another 
world or another dimension or something because music is something the secret is is it's not really coming out of your brain but it's coming from somewhere through you into the our physical world so it's like you know it makes sense that a lot of musicians did yeah. things and experiment with things because it does open up things the only problem is is that there's also some consequences so it's it's just like how long are you <laughs> how long are you hanging on for yeah. and well that's like, like into the fire literally and yeah. it's like yeah. you think about like people like you know you got jim morrison you got like uh and like uh sid barrett and also i was leading you know you know about craig, craig smith who did the inca uh, apache albums in the 70s mm -hmm. i don't know if you guys are hip to him very interesting actually i think you guys are dig his stuff but he was like a folk rock artist from the 60s and he did a lot of acid and to the point where he eventually became this crazy homeless guy in LA wandering around some uh, guy wrote a book about him a few years back very interesting and it's like on one hand the drugs opened him up so he made a lot of really great music and I definitely recommend you guys should uh, check out the Apache Inca album it's really amazing but I'll check that out but then he burned out really quickly, you know, so he had this one amazing double album that he like gave to people on the streets as a homeless people. It's like, hey, this is this album I recorded. And it was really amazing. Uh, but then his whole life was ruined. So it's obviously there's some people that can go in and out like Paul McCartney's like, hey, I do a little bit of acid. OK, doobie doobie. I'm done. All right. <laughs> you know, like they get yeah. what they need from it. And they're out and they're safe, you know. But then there's some people that go into the fire and then that's it. They're fucked up for life and they're ruined. So it's it's hard to say. It's like, I don't know. I mean, I can't honestly say if I'm, I don't want to sound like a son of a bitch, but part of me is like, would I not want Sid Barrett? Would I not want Piper at the Gates of Dawn? You know, I love that album. So I, at the same time though, yeah, Sid Barrett was like, he was fucked for life afterwards. So I can't say it's just, you know, it is a choice. You know, you're adults, you're over 21, you're making a choice. It's like some are going to dive into the fire, some spring out and live to tell the tale, you know, and some don't. And it just seems like almost like that's fair enough. Like we're all adults, like you do what you're going to do and you know it's dangerous and it's likely to fuck you up for life. But maybe you get out of it and you live to tell the tale. And it sounds like it's kind of what this three minute 30 second songs about from what Matthew says <laughs> I didn't even know that but that's the word on the street a warning against drugs into the fire makes sense and also I wanted to say I love Dawkins into the fire but they're not the same song <laughs> I was right. going to you yeah. when I talked about this song <laughs> <laughs> I had to bring up the Dawkins song but the, the only thing they got in common is that they're both called into the fire and they're both awesome so what do you think Eric what do you think of into the fire uh, it's a great fucking song. Uh, the the opening, uh, like the opening riff, it, it kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, "Country Girl" by Black Sabbath. Uh, yeah, kind of reminds. It. it sounds a little similar to that. Great fucking song, and it's funny. I didn't know. Um, I didn't know that it, it's supposedly about you know like uh, drug use, the dangers of drug use. So that kind of gives a new perspective <laughs> on the song. Out the at the next time I listen to this, I'll have to like uh, think of that when I'm listening to like the lyrics. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, yeah, drug use, man, it's like, uh, you know, like you guys are talking about, it's like you could, some rock bands, they'll do drugs and they write great songs like Supernaut and Snowblind, but 
at some point, it's like sometimes the drugs will turn on you, and then you start writing songs like She's Gone and Rock and Roll Doctor, and you're like, what happened? <laughs> what happened was they ran out of money, and they said, we won't give you more money unless you give us more songs. And they're like, all right, man. I just need, <laughs> like, you we know. need to write something real quick. They're yeah. like, I need a fix. Here's a song. Here's, it's, there is something. Yeah, yeah. i got to say, there's something to be said about Beverly Hills Cocaine Mansions in the 70s. You know, you got Station to Station, you got Volume 4, a couple years later you got Tusk, Fleetwood Mac. All I'm yep. saying, I don't want to be totally pro-drug here, Doris Matthew. <laughs> I'm just saying there were a lot of great albums that we recorded because of drugs. Yep. I, it, uh, and a lot of life's ruined. But maybe yeah, I mean, it's, they're the sacrifice. It's true. I mean, there were like, like a rabid drug use has created a lot of great albums. You know, it's it's sad the life, like the lives it kind of ruined. But you know, it's kind of we did get good music out of it. So I don't know. Hey, it's you know, tough. It's one of those things where you don't want to be an advocate for illegal yeah. drugs, but at the same time, there's evidence of good that could has come from it. You know, so it's like Revelation. it's one of those things like. Proceed with extreme caution, if especially well, even you know nowadays, with fentanyl and things mixed in with things, it's, you know, you would need to really know where something was coming from oh, back yeah. in the seventies. Yeah, it was back in the day. It's right, scary it, nowadays. Yeah, yeah. People think they're getting drug A, but it turns out to have something else in there, and it, and then it's not so what they bargained. Yeah, so that's that's a whole new thing that wasn't in the 70s and 80s when people yep. were, like, taking little boats down to Central America <laughs> and, you know, getting, like, some very high-quality yeah, things. They, those rock stars probably would, did go for, like, the high-quality stuff. I would, yeah, I would, you would think. For sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's kind they of cost the board. You should say that. It to them, too, as well, yeah. so it's like they're getting some of the best of the best, you know? So, yeah, they yeah, got yeah. mushrooms that were sung to as they sprouted. Of course, <laughs> <laughs> everything, even the food, everything, you know, everything. I mean, people are, well, let's just say everyone's being poisoned on Earth right now uh, by yeah. evil corporations. Real. Not to bring you down, not to bring you down, but evil corporations are poisoning everyone. Anyway, so moving on, rock and roll. <laughs> living Wreck. <laughs> living Wreck. What do you think of Living Wreck, Doris? Is what you'll become if you take too many drugs, kids. But uh, <laughs> no, it's a it's an awesome song. You know the drums, like they fade them in, and then like the that insane solo. Uh, Richie's an incredible solo, and it's 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 a it's a it's a rocker. And if I'm not mistaken, that's that's one of that's an early example of a use of the octave pedal, which had just come out. And um, <clears throat> word on the street is that this album, uh, this song was almost left off, was going to be left off the album. They didn't feel like it was good enough. But then later they listened to it and they said, okay, yeah, it's, it's good enough. So, did, did fact. Honey Bear tell you that, Matthew, on the street? He was like, hey, I got, I got I'm, tips for you. I got a hot I'm, tip. I'm <laughs> cheating. I'm, I, I didn't do my homework, so I'm, I'm looking at the clips notes a little bit. <laughs> got a hot tip. You know that Living Wreck song? Brothers almost left it off the album. Living Wrecking <laughs> almost wasn't even on the album. <laughs> it's a great song. Well, you know, I'm glad they left it on. I think it's great. It's a grower. That's the thing, you know, and that's the thing, Matthew. Gotta listen to the second side a few more times. It's a grower. Yeah, yeah, the first side, that's flashier, hits you, you know, right out of the gate. But the second side, it's a little bit of a grower. 
Uh, Living Wreck, it, it's, it brings back a little, not as heavy as Bloodsucker, but it has a little bit of that R&B groove to it. Um, I think I mentioned, remember when we did our Check Your Head episode, Eric, I said that I thought some of Check Your Head sounded like Deep Purple at times. This yeah. is kind of the song I was thinking about. Like, oh, okay. about the drumming and the way the guitar and the keyboards hit remind me of like the some of the you know parts where the BCs are playing their own instruments. Like, Living Wreck has a little bit of that groove to it. Look at that, we came full circle. <laughs> yeah, full, you know, I like it. It's the writer. That snare is so well recorded. It's random comment, but... <laughs> <laughs> what, 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 yeah, the, the way it was produced, the whole record is is, is awesome. Amazing. It feels it's good. The solo, like, Check your head or this one? Or this album, or both, maybe. What, what was I that? Sorry, I cut out. Yeah. No, no, check your head, this album, or both? Which one? Oh, we're just talking about this album. Oh, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, the, the production, and that's the thing. It sounds very both of its time and modern like you could hear this like you listen to some of the drum tracks that sounds like a hip-hop drum break it just sounds really crisp and funky and i love it i you know love this song what do you think of living wreck air oh it's an amazing song it's funny i didn't hear the the r&b vibe too much on bloodsucker but this one i definitely uh noticed it that uh, so much so that i put it in my notes real funky it I think this is the song that definitely sticks out like a sore thumb. Uh, excuse me, it sticks out like a sore thumb. It's very different than everything else on the album, but not in a bad way. In a good way, you kind of need something a little different, you know. You've been having a bunch of kick-ass, like hard rock, heavy metal songs on here. It's kind of nice to have something a little funky, so a little out of the ordinary. Um, I love the lyrics too. It's almost kind of it's kind of humorous. It's kind of like a humorous song. Ian Gillen's talking about you took off your hair, pulled out your teeth, and it's like, uh, wow, what what kind of groupies are how how old are these groupies, Ian? You know, <laughs> but I, I love I love this song, man. I like the <laughs> I like the funkiness, and I like that it's humorous, you know. But also at the same time, in the middle of this kind of funky, out, almost out of place, like humorous song, you, you get this beautiful, just simple, like melodic solo that almost has like a lot of emotion in it by Richie Blackmore. And it's just like, it, it, it conflicts so much with the song, because you got this funky song with funny lyrics, but in the middle of it, you got like this really beautiful, like, simple, emotional solo by Richie Blackmore, but yet, it all blends together so well, like you, you wouldn't think it would go together, but it does, you know, and it's just, it's amazing, I love this song, really, really a uh, cool song to have, uh, right before the final track. Right on, high five, I love Living Wreck. Okay, Matthew, I'm going to go to you, because you did mention this earlier. You said, oh, except for that last song. So I assume you were talking about Hard Loving Man. So what do you think of Hard Loving Man? The song rules, and it's clearly a song about rough sex. <laughs> break, my, break my back with hard loving. Take my hand and keep moving. Don't slow down. We're nearly there now. What's your name? You know, like he's saying, very sexual, sexually charged. What a great way to finish the album. You know, oh, it's yeah. like a, a a very it's climactic. <laughs> it's climactic end. And uh, w- wasn't this recorded at or at least part of it? We can look it up. But uh, at Abbey Road. Uh, Abbey Road. Yeah, I no, think they so finished it, it off. Makes sense. I'm looking yeah. at this. Yeah, Abbey. Part of it was. Yeah, it's a. Uh, there was a couple of different studios, but Abbey Road was one of the studios, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they, I think they finished it there, yeah. And it, 
Martin Birch was an engineer. He wasn't their producer quite yet, but he was the. And of course, Martin Birch would be a legendary producer that would go on to produce White Snake, which you know, like half of the band in the early days was from Deep Purple. And, became uh, White Snake. That's right. Yeah, it essentially became White Snake, and the you know Iron Maiden and uh, uh, Blue Oyster Cult. Uh, he did a lot of great albums in the '80s, but he was an engineer on this album. But yeah, a lot of it was uh, Abbey Road. Yeah, that's, that's where cool. all the good stuff happened. Yeah, uh, it's a very famous... I don't know if you ever heard of this, but there's a group called The Beatles. They did this album called Abbey Road. The Beatles? That, I think I heard yeah, of it. Like B-E-A or like B-E-E? B-E-A. Isn't that clever? Like B? Wow, that's smart stuff. And they record it on Abbey Road, apparently, from what Wikipedia says. But, you know, I don't know much about them. Anyway. And who's Abbey? Is that like <laughs> the girlfriend or something? Some British woman. Some British woman drinks tea. <laughs> what, what do you think of Hard Lovin' Man, Doris? Uh, I mean, it's, it's it's hard to top Matthew's review, but uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's it's it, it's definitely like the 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 smash at the end where it's like you know um, kind of like you guys were saying it, it the big, the first side of the record is all rocking and then it kind of makes some shifts and this, this is like the the end banger but uh <laughs> but where john lord like smashes all the keys all at once yeah. you know and he's just like they're just going crazy and uh it's it's like whoa okay what's going on here it's just so yeah it's it's energetic and cool yeah yeah i, I think this is another what were you gonna say matthew oh, i was just gonna say and then the last lyric uh, you know, he does the whole uh, sexual journey for you, and then, oh, gotta catch a train, I'm a hard-loving man. Like, see you later. <laughs> We're done. See you next time. End of the record. That's you know. Okay. Well, that's what it's about. You know, rock and roll was, you know, that's an old term for sex. That That's the whole idea, and that's what I love about it. That And that's another thing. I just want to say about heavy metal. The When the last generation of people that made heavy metal were that made great heavy metal in my opinion were people that had some kind of connection to rock and roll because I had a connection to the blues and I had a connection to something that was human and visceral and real and that's the thing is you notice a lot of modern metal it's very devoid it's very asexual it's very clinical it's very devoid of that (laughs) yeah and you know that's the thing is like when you listen to like the first wave of a lot of the new wave of British heavy metal and like Motorhead and things like that, they still were connected to this idea that rock and roll was connected to sex. And, yep. and you know, I do feel that's something that was lost to metal, you know, after a while. Like, and they start to look down on that. And I understand a lot of that, you know, some of the glam metal stuff in the 80s and stuff. It, you know, I understand why it kind of put them off it. But they have to understand, like, you listen to stuff like Hard Loving Man, Deep Purple, like, it didn't have to be, it doesn't have to be, like, superficial or fluffy just because you're singing about sex. Like, back in the day, that's, like, it was, like, the most important thing that was going on. Like, you know, you, like, you listen to a Marvin Gaye album, like, sex is the most important thing happening <laughs> at the time, you know? like well, I guess that's how we all got here, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's the principle yeah. of yeah, yeah, it gets to the essence of it. It's like down to the core of who we are. You know, men, women, let's do it. And that's what rock and roll was about. And I feel like a lot of music and society on a whole is falling apart because uh, they're moving away from that. But hey, I don't want to go off on that. 
Well, it's funny you mention that because <laughs> at the same time you hear statistics that you know marriage rates and reproductive rates are falling, and it's well, because we we can we don't even have to think about this because we live with so many distractions nowadays that the thread that's kept mankind alive, you know, throughout all of time, you know, which <laughs> is human reproduction is like kind of it's kind of not cool it's not sexy anymore it's kind of like because well, it's been sterilized and like yeah. it's it's also so available now you know online it's like I well know. what's the there's no there's no like interest in it from young the young generation because it's like i think they did a they found that men are losing interest in it because there's just and women are nightmares nowadays, and, you know, and, they become worse. And women are also <laughs> women are also indoctrinated through social media to some degree to hate men. Men are somehow oppressing you. You don't really want that man. You you're good without him. So guys just are like, well, focus I, I on your just... career. The man we'll we'll deal with that later, you know, like just just you don't need that. You, you, you know. Could you only imagine how a lot of these women you're talking about would react to hard loving man. <laughs> I mean, like, that's what they really they'd say, want, here's a though. key example of male gaze and how women are objectified. Yeah, and but, but give me a break. Every feminist here. wants a, a, a boyfriend on a motorcycle with a leather jacket and a wide chest. And secretly. Like, se- secretly. Yeah, that's, secretly. <laughs> that's what and, they want. But, and that's why they're unhappy, because they don't have that. But they're, yeah. 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 And, but, uh, you politics, can't outsmart nature, right? You yeah. know, like. But politics aside, this is just kind of a, an Eastern perspective, real quick on on hard loving men and all th- what you were saying, um, Eddie, is uh, that all that stuff from the seventies, where there there was that kind of more genuine, almost sexual energy. Um, they say that in 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 Hinduism, there's there's chakras, there's energy centers. And the first chakra dictates that part. Obviously, the, the, the location is at the base of, of a human being. And it also dictates the emotions of discipline, of power, of survival, and of warmth and fire. So that's why I think those singers like Ian Gillen and all you know the, the heavy metal singers, like they sung with that power, they sung with that energy. And and if you don't sing from that center, you get kind of more of like a mushy kind of like you don't feel the the fire or something, you know? No, I totally get what you're saying. That's the thing. When you remove yourself from that, you're getting away from the fire, the essence of it. Greg Dooley of the Afghan Whigs once said that he thought this was some old interview that I read that he said many years ago. And he said, like, he would listen to a lot of indie rock singers and they'd be like really clever. He's like, that's a clever lyric. But he'd prefer hearing some old soul singer from the 60s saying, you got what I need, because it just was more powerful. There was something more infinitely powerful about it that got to the core of what it was about, you know. And listen, hey, I like some clever lyrics here and there, not against a little intellectualism, but... At the essence, that's the core. That's what we're talking about, you know? And that's the thing that they're trying to like, kind of take us away from. But this is core, and that's what rock and roll is about. That's what hard loving man's about. And, yeah, so it, well, I'm just going to throw this to you, Eric, now, because you haven't talked in a while. Ooh. So what do you think of hard loving man? Holy shit. You know, you remember <laughs> how I said, uh, you know, Child Time, second favorite song on the album? Well, we've reached the end of the album, and uh, it's 
pretty clear what my number one favorite is. It's motherfucking hard loving man. Oh, there you go. <laughs> this song, man. This this was the song that made me buy this album. Like Challenge Time, I was kind of like, yeah, yeah, I want to get the album because Challenge Time's there. But this was the song that I heard where I'm like, what the fuck is this? You know, <laughs> it, it, it's you know, it's like uh, Matthew was saying. You know, man, this is. I was in uh, middle school when I got this album, so like all I can think about, the only things I care about this time. <laughs> Is rock and roll and girls. So this song just like you know, it speaks to you. It's just so great. I remember there's a fan made video on YouTube too, where uh, you know, it, it's a performance of them. Obviously, they're not playing Hard Loving Man. I think they're playing Highway Star. But he puts Hard Loving Man music over it and kind of synced it up to make it look like they're actually performing it. Yeah. But oh, it's just such a cool video because you got like this hot go go girl, like '60s like go go girl. You know, introducing the band at the beginning, and she's so beautiful. You got Ian Gillen there singing this with his, like, Captain America tank top, and Richie Blackmore with his cool, like, uh, Pilgrim, like, witch hat. And the band's just kicking so much ass. Just so <laughs> phenomenal, and that, those screams Ian Gillen does. I mean, you know, Robert Plant was kind of trying to do those kind of screams, like, the kind of sexy, like, screams, you know, but... You know, none against Robert Plant. You know, we do got a review for Led Zeppelin coming up, but, you know, no offense to Robert Plant, but Ian Gillen just sells it way better because he, he screams like a fucking man. Agreed. <laughs> oh, just... And, oh, man, I remember, too, there's that one part uh, of the song where, you know, John Lord's on the organ, he hits that one note, that real loud, piercing note, and, man, back, back in those middle school days, those old-school, like, uh, earbuds... Those old school earbuds where they really oh. kind of perfected them, that note would hurt. Like you had to make sure, like you were, like hit the volume button, like turned it down before that note came on, or your ears would be ringing. Um, just wow, what what a great song! Just yeah. amazing. This everything I love about Mach Two version Deep Purple. It's just phenomenal. Again, the the band is just like you can't remove one they're like like merciful fate you can't remove one member of this band or it's just not gonna work because everyone brings something to the table they're all top-notch musicians and all own their craft and bring something unique and just when you mix them together they just create a sound that just no one else can duplicate it's just such a it's a sexy song you know i love it yeah one other thing i, that I didn't bring up you know Correct me if I'm wrong, but don't you consider that the guitar line that this is galloping? That this is kind yeah, of like it's kind of but yeah, and this is like I can't think of like by the late '70s, yes, yeah, Zeppelin and Judas Priest and Heart, you know, did some galloping, but I don't think I can think of any early '70s metal galloping like this that's on yeah. the song. I mean, can you guys think of anything, nope. Doris and Matthew? I feel like this is maybe the first metal gallop. I think so too. Yeah, I think that they kind of they could easily just coin or like a claim that that gallop that yeah, of like being the ones who didn't, who invented it. Yeah, That's I can't point out. I, I never yeah. even thought of that. And this yeah, is like I, my favorite song. Yeah, I can't, I can't think of a metal gal before the song. It's yeah. You know, so they might have invented it. Yeah. Yeah, so, I think uh, so too. Yeah, uh, one last song. We're gonna have a bonus track here because it was a single release at this. Oh time. yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna bring it up. Yeah, I, I want to bring up Black Knight. So oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was recorded at these sessions, and it was a single. So I'm curious. Uh, what do you guys think, Doris, Matthew? What do you think of Black Knight? Oh, that song rules. 
yeah. it's just that I, I love that um, where they where they move kind of into the, that do 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 like the I don't know just that melodic um, uh, just that the heaviness of it the combination of the bass and the guitar and like and uh, that's also kind of like a gallop almost I would say you know do 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 you know what I mean like I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, it's, that's a great song. Yeah, it totally rules. Yeah. So, what do you think of Black Knight Air? Oh, great song. That was um, much like uh, you know a bunch of our songs. I like uh, one of them being Chiquita by Aerosmith. It's a yeah. song. The first time I heard it, it didn't grab me. I was like, eh, like this really isn't that great. Second time I heard it, I'm like, you know, it's not bad. By the third time, I'm like, this song rules. And it's it's so simplistic, you know, and I think that's why, because I think, you know, listening to this album, and then when I hear this, you know, that song being from the same sessions, just not included on the album, you know, I'm thinking, like, you know, all these songs are more like, you know, it, it's very different. That song's so simplistic compared to the rest of this album that I think it just didn't grab me because I'm so in the mindset of the songs that are already on here where the simplicity didn't grab me, but then when I hear it outside of the album, it works. It's just so great, so catchy. You know, it's one of those songs that will get stuck, That you know, just that rhythm, the melody to it will get stuck in your head and you'll be humming it all day long. I love Black Knight. It's a great freaking song. Uh, I can see why they maybe did put it on the album, just because it, you know, like I said, it doesn't really fit in with the rest of the album, but it was a great choice for a single. Phenomenal song. Awesome. Okay, so that's In Rock, Deep Purple In Rock. Uh, we went through all... It's such an amazing album. Come on, you guys buy it. So know. good. Hell yeah. <clears throat> I, I like it better than Machine Head, I'll say that. I do. Machine Head's a great album. <laughs> I'll be, you know, Machine Head. This is the thing. I can hear objectively. It's a great album, one of their best. It's it's kind of like a Led Zeppelin Four or Paranoid. It's one of those albums that I just don't go back to a lot because of Burnout I Factor. Because I think you know, too, it gets sometimes it maybe gets a little bit more credit than it really deserves just because yeah. it had like you know the band's like you know signature song on yeah. it. But yeah, I I prefer. Well, this is my favorite. I like Burn better. I like. Uh, taste the band better. I like that oh, third great album. I guess Machine Head's probably like my fifth favorite. You know, it breaks the top five, but I don't know. I, I do think it's a little overrated, but it is a great album. But maybe it's Burnout Factor. I don't know. What it just in general, I'm curious what you guys think of Machine Head. Where are you in general, like where you mentioned Burn before, so you do like Mark Three. I mean, do you have like a favorite album from that period? Is it Burn? That's a good question, actually. I've never really thought about, like, which one would be our favorite. Because, yeah, there is also a burnout factor, and sometimes it's tough to kind of listen from, like, a critical perspective. Because yeah. it's like, um, sometimes when we listen, we get kind of uh, caught up in, like, you know, how they recorded it, and, and the melodic changes, and what key is it in, and so... But yeah, we we should probably like give all the albums a listen and get back to you on that. <laughs> yeah, this talk hasn't this talk has inspired me to go through and really like do my deep purple homework because I remember we had when we were touring with uh, my other band Warm Soda, we had just like a, a deep purple greatest hits cassette, and that one we had a boombox in our <laughs> in our van, and it would be. Um, very frequently on there so some in, in some instances i don't remember what songs were on which albums necessarily because i'm 
I've never been super huge record collector. I always am just like trying to write songs and like I never really got to the bottom of digging down into the into the bins and like finding the finer points. But uh, this has inspired us. Like I would love to get in rock on vinyl and. Um, I, I definitely love Burn. That one has always been. Ooh. Yeah, and I yeah. think the reason why is because we've moved around so much. So like we we'll we'll get a few records and then we'll have to sell them and then like you know, and and we do the thing where we'll listen to something a hundred times and then we'll get rid of the record not because yeah. we don't like it but because we're like oh, burn okay. it out. I, I didn't <laughs> notice that. Like I I wasn't aware of that. I was thinking about that. I was going to ask you guys about that. I noticed like it's like they don't seem to be collecting vinyl and that's interesting because you would kind of think that you guys would be vinyl kind of people. Not on purpose. But, but maybe because purpose. you're moving around a lot. Yeah, I noticed that. They yeah, we want like to start vinyl. a good good collection. So yeah, hopefully when we move to uh, to Holland and Get some good, weird European pressings of purple. <laughs> I, I got a German pressing of burn, so there you go. Nice. nice. Oh, nice. See, I, I'm kind of a sim- similar boat as you guys, where uh, I started, you know, honestly, this is the first vinyl I bought, and I was in middle school. I actually had started collecting a ton of vinyl, uh, kind of fell on some hard times uh, in my in my early 20s, and I uh, had to move and had to sell all my vinyl. And then nowadays, it's just, it's so expensive where, like, I just, I actually buy CDs now. I buy CDs or I buy something off uh, off iTunes just because, it's like, I just, one, I don't have the space. And, you know, it's just vinyl so expensive. Like, you know, like I said, you know, nowadays you go into a record store, you know, $30 is going to buy you one record, you know. It's, it's, uh, especially it's, now, yeah. It's expensive and it's just... Yeah. It, it takes up a lot of space, you know, because like a CD, if I at least buy a CD, I can burn it onto the computer and then I can save it to a hard drive and then I have like, you know, thousands of albums on a, on a hard drive and on my computer. So if I ever did need to get rid of a CD to make space or whatever, you know, I have I still have that music like saved on a permanent thing. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I bounce between. I have most of my music digital files on my computer, but uh, if it's a favorite album, I buy the vinyl. So do you oh, guys... Yeah, really, I'll blame do, you for that. So Doris and Matthew, what, you, do you stream stuff? Do you have stuff digital? I mean, how do you listen to music? You know, um, one interesting thing is that we... It, yeah, I mean, YouTube's always our platform, so a lot of yeah. times we'll just throw it on YouTube and listen through our, you know, recording studio monitors, but... Nice. I'll, I really don't listen to as much music as you might think that oh, we really? do. Yeah, well, I, you know, because I feel like I've always had a slight aversion to it. I mean, sometimes, you know, we listen to music and I'm always searching for something I've never heard of. That's what I want. I want to find the little gems that are hidden that I'm like, how did I miss this? And we're always finding stuff like that. But I feel like once I've heard it, I... I I rarely go back and it's like I think it stems from like a fear of wanting to be too colored by something or you like listening to something and we're in here saying like we want to create our own songs and like come up with something so I I like you know we're not sitting around listening to records all day but um, recently we've started picking up a few vinyls we've got a little grip of stuff that's like we need that on vinyl you know and we'll pick up a few things but um, yeah, we're a little bit of both. It's like sometimes we'll listen to a bunch of stuff and really get excited about different albums and just rock out to it and get excited. And other times we just kind of like, oh, let's just do silence. You know, it sounds kind of 
I don't know. It sounds bad to say that, but it no, sounds no, like where I know. I know from <laughs> from music. You know, I have friends who are musicians. It's it makes sense. Uh, you know, the way uh, someone who actually you know writes music and you know is a musician, like it's the way they listen to music. Whereas someone like me, who's not really like a who's not a musician at all. I'm just you know more of a music you know. I just listen to it. Uh, the way you listen to something and what you choose to listen to is very different depending on like how you approach music, whether you're just someone that listens or whether you're a person that actually like writes your own music and performs. Yeah, I, got, so I, I totally I, get it. I write yeah. during the day, and the last thing I want to do is read after I write all day long. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. So yeah, I definitely exactly. get where you're coming from. So, but but with that, that's the segue. Uh, Doris, like, eh, I'll ask you first. Is there anything this week, and it doesn't have to be music related, just anything cool this week that you'd like to plug that you think is interesting that you'd like to pitch to the people listening? Yeah, sure. Um, well, we, we've recently watched two really cool movies. Uh, Rider on the Rain by Charles Bronson. Really cool, very well written and executed. One uh, of his lesser known films. Yeah, yeah I don't, I'm, a, I'm a huge Charles Bronson fan, and I never heard of this film. I yeah, think it was only released in France, was it? No, it, it, it was it was released on I think uh, on, on both continents, but it's just one of those things that no streaming service ever picked up on, and like it's only on on the on the big box VHS. Yeah. You know? Is it an action film? <laughs> Is it an action film? Uh, I would say it's got some mild action in it, but it's 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 a little bit milder uh, compared to some of, of Bronson's films. Uh, so it's it's a nice it's a nice movie. It's it's a really heavy storyline, but it's 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 a good. I don't know. It's just really well executed. And then also Phantom of the Paradise we watched recently. Oh. Such a good great movie. music movie. Paul yeah. Williams and his some of his songs. He, I think he scored the movie and. Yeah. Uh, and we love Paul Williams stuff. Uh, I'll, I'll mention this because you asked uh, what, some, for some music stuff. Uh, the Holy Mackerel, great uh, band by Paul Williams that he started with his brother, I think, in 1968. Yeah, the Holy Mackerel is definitely worth checking out. I think it was his first band. And there's that song, Scorpio Red. It's a really great song and just a cool album. And, Very psychedelic, yeah. It's like a quintessential, like, a little bit of sunshine pop and a little bit of psychedelic um, uh, influences. and Yeah, it's cool. And then another really weirdly cool movie that was only released in Asia was one of actually Olivia Newton-John's first ever movies. I think it's also from 1970, same year as, as uh, the Deep Purple album we're talking about. But it's called Tomorrow, spelled T-O-O, like Tomorrow, yeah. and it's about a band who builds their own synthesizer and accidentally creates a tone or a frequency that is curative to a species of extraterrestrials. So they come down to Earth and contact the band and explain that hey, we need your music <laughs> to heal our civilization. And it's just, but it's like a really cool band and the music's really well produced. And it's like, it's kind of like psychedelic sunshine pop, but with a groovy kind of funky sort of thing. But it's, it, it's a hilarious movie because this alien's coming down and there's this cool band in 1970 London, I think, or Maybe it's Australia. Maybe it's Melbourne. It kind of makes sense to Australia. Yeah, yeah, Olivia Newton-John's Australian, so maybe. But 
There's a YouTube video of the full movie you can watch for free, but it's T T O O Morrow Tomorrow, and that's the uh, that's the name of the band in the in the movie, and so it's, both, it's both the band and the name of the movie. Right, and I think Olivia Newton-John's maybe her first film ever or second film. She was like I think sixteen or seventeen. Yeah, I was gonna say she had to be pretty young when they did that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm, I'm a big fan. That's right up my alley because uh, it's weird. I was gonna say you love it's Olivia so Newton-John. weird, and I, I love Olivia Newton-John. She was like my first childhood crush, and I'm also a big Paul Wilms fan too. And you actually cited one of my favorite movies of all time, Phantom of Paradise. I'm a huge fan of. Yeah, well, I mentioned. Oh, nice. oh cool. Brian De Palma <laughs> earlier. You know, that's a Brian De Palma film and yeah it's right a, yeah it's an amazing film everyone amazing soundtrack i love i have that soundtrack i love the songs on it it's amazing i like i mean i like rocky horror picture show but i think fan of paradise is better it's yeah i agree yeah yep. amazing so i mean if and i feel like half the people listening to this podcast have already seen it but if you haven't definitely check out phantom paradise and definitely check out a tomorrow with that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> that, that's cool. I, you said it's available on YouTube, Matthew? Yeah, it's on YouTube for free. It was originally only released in like Korea or something. No, Japan. Japan, Japan. Yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. So it was, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Really unusual. Yeah, I gotta tell you one thing. I will say this for YouTube. You can find a lot of cool shit on YouTube. You yeah. can. I love YouTube. There's a lot of shit on the surface, but if you get past that, there's a lot of cool stuff. You just gotta search for it. But there's, there's a lot. Gems. There's a lot of gems. And That's uh, sure, you can go down the rabbit hole for sure on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I've done it. I've done the YouTube. Yeah. Rabbit. <laughs> I'm gonna wrap this up, but Eric, before uh, I go, what what do you have to recommend for the? Well, week? since uh, I feel like we're kind of, I feel like I'm gonna keep with the theme here of like uh, an album and a movie. So, and I'm gonna make it like two two albums and. It's going to be an album and a movie that I was listening to around the same time when I first got, you know, Deep Purple and Rock on Vinyl in middle school. So, the movie I'm going to recommend, which is, uh, I told Edwin this before we, we hopped on uh, to do this, was uh, Bonnie and Clyde. I got this on in the background. Uh, Bonnie and Clyde with Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway. Amazing movie. One of my all-time favorites. And uh, a movie I discovered right around the same time, because I was really getting into a lot of, like, uh, you know, 70s and 60s stuff, and even uh, late 50s uh, stuff, whether it be music or movies, pop culture kind of stuff. And this is a movie my mom absolutely loved, and I forget what happened. I think, like, the power or something went out in our house. We were just waiting for it to come back on. When it finally came back on, you know, me and my mom were waiting in the living room for it to come back on, and uh, she suggested to put this movie on, and I watched it, and it just totally blew me away, and always been a favorite of mine and it's crazy because later i found out that it was a very revolutionary movie it helped kind of move hollywood from the kind of golden age era to the new age like for the 60s and you know hearing that and now looking back on it it's like wow this film really did you know change a lot uh really great movie i definitely recommend everyone check it out and the album i'm going to recommend is uh, one I've been listening to a lot lately is the Paul Stanley solo album. <laughs> I know me and me and Edwin goof a lot on Paul Stanley nowadays, but uh, at one point he was one. Of, he was a very amazing hard rock uh, singer, and uh, probably my probably one of the best songwriters in Kiss. And his solo album proves that. And you know, Ace gets all the love and all the credit. So I know I'm in the minority, but 
I think Paul's album's just the best, you know, mm. top to bottom, except for there's one song I don't like, um, which I think everyone knows what song it is, but... <laughs> Uh, I, I love that solo album. I remember before I bought it, um, one thing me and my mom used to do around that time that I bought the Deep Purple and Rock was Thursday nights. We would go to um, this. It's like a it was like a bar, and the area we were in it was a bar right off the river. So it had like a great view of like this river, and it was just real like you know it wasn't like one of those like trashy camp bars. It was kind of like a nice like homey bar and. It was a Thursday night, so there's not going to be a rowdy crowd. It was mainly just a bunch of locals. Uh, my mom and me would go there and because uh, they cooked dinner on Thursday nights. like uh, They had meals, and it was really good food. And we would go there. My mom would see some of her friends from work, uh, some of the police officers. She, wor- she worked at a police station, the records department, so a lot of the police officers she would see there. Uh, my stepdad, who was also a police officer, he would come by and visit, and he would usually grab a bite to eat with us. And the big thing I always loved about was uh, my mom would always give me, like, uh, she'd give me a couple bucks and have me go to the jukebox they had. They had one of those touchscreen jukeboxes, and it was still a new thing at the time. And she'd, you know, have me pick some songs for her, and then I'd get to pick some songs. And it was just real cool, because, again, this is before iTunes was really, like, you know, like what it is today. And, you know, it was before, like, you know, before all that became real big. So it was a big deal for me, like... I get to play songs from an album that I still didn't own yet or I was still saving money up for to, to buy. And that was an album, you know, I was waiting to buy that on CD. And so it was just so fun, like, when I get a couple bucks from my mom and I get to play songs from that album for everyone to hear. Uh, it's, it's a reason why I like Thursday nights. Like, something about Thursday, it just uh, brings back a lot of great memories. And that's a great album. I recommend everyone uh, who hasn't listened to it, uh, go, go check it out. I like it. I think it's the second best. The kiss oh, that, that's, that's not saying much because they're, they're not that good. <laughs> but I, I definitely prefer the Ace Freely. But I do, I do love uh, two songs from that album. Uh, Tonight you belong to me. Great song. Great, great song, and it's all right. I love those two songs. That I seems think. to be the two everyone, even people that don't yeah. like that album. That's the one. Those are the songs everyone likes. Yeah, because they're good songs. That's, I like that's "Wouldn't You Like to Know Me" because it sounds like a, it sounds like the Raspberries. It's all right. That, that's like probably the third best song on the album. Great pop, pop, uh, great power pop song. It's all right, um, uh, but it def- definitely the second best of the the Kiss solo albums. I, I think the Jeans the worst. That's horrible. horrible. Oh, see, I hate Peters. Uh, Peter, I put I put I even put Peters before. At least it's got this kind of drunken. Poor man's Bob Seger thing going for it. <laughs> <laughs> so, Edwin, what do you want to recommend? I'm going to recommend, uh, this brings it all full circle, uh, I'm going to recommend Dream Machine. That's right. That's what people <laughs> should be listening to. It depends on your musical taste. They got three amazing albums. My recommendation is these three albums. The order is depending on your musical taste. If you're into... Like heavier stuff. If you like Black Sabbath and it's early 70s, Deep Purple, and you want to kind of hear heavier garage rock, psychedelic rock, I, I recommend you start from the beginning. Start with The Illusion. Start from that album. Work your way to the newest album. They only got three albums, so buy all three. But start with The Illusion. I think people that like heavier stuff and garage rock will dig The Illusion and then work your way up. Uh, if you're into like kind of a more prog stuff or kind of popular rock from the late 70s, uh, more melodic stuff like um, Agents of Fortune, like air 
Blue Oyster Cult, stuff like that. It's just go right to the new album, Living the Dream. Living the Dream is like their catchiest album yet. It's very melodic, amazing production, really catchy songs uh, from beginning to end. I'd say start with Living the Dream if you're into that kind of stuff, and then work your way backwards to the illusion. So either way, you win. You know, I just start oh, from the thank beginning. Thank you so and, much. So there you go. So that's my recommendation. And also check out their YouTube channel because they are a multimedia. Uh, artist, uh, you know, entity here. It's not just about the music. It's about their videos. It's about their message. It's uh, very. Check out Matthew and Doris Melton's YouTube channel. In addition to their great albums, and you get the full package there. You know, yeah. they're, they're the real deal. I posted. Uh, I know on our page, I posted the the video for what song was it? I walked in the fire. Yeah, that was a cool. I love it too because you guys capture perfectly that those old school like uh, late sixties, early seventies like rock videos. I thought it was just <laughs> such a and it's a great song too. It's just so phenomenal. Thank you. Thanks so much. We really appreciate you guys having us and oh, uh, having us on. And you know, we, we, we had a great time talking with you guys. Yeah, that oh, was we fun. Had a great time with you thank guys. you for for uh, recommending us and, and and all the nice, all the kind words. We really appreciate it. Of course, sure thing. And we'd love to have you uh, on again sometime in the future. It's great wrapping with you guys. Absolutely. You got our number. Okay. (laughs) I got your number. You know my name. Got the number. (laughs) Okay. Great talking to you guys. Awesome. Over and take care, guys. Later. Bye. Thanks. Have a good weekend, y'all. See ya. You You too. too. Bye. Bye. Yeah.